That's like going to um, All right. independent wrestling. We got, uh, you, you've already heard voices on the podcast. You know me, I don't edit anything, so you're going to hear that at the beginning. We have uh, maybe, uh, he's in comp stiff competition with Casey Moran as the all-time guest leader in uh, inappropriate old podcast history. I mean, Rogan has a few repeaters. I can, too. The uh, difference between me and Rogan is about a hundred million. Uh, God, damn. and it only took you four years to have me back. Thanks. I, well, it, uh, I was hot for a while, and then I got kicked off the charts. Give it up, everyone, for re- maybe six-time returning guest. Who knows? Uh, Jordan, the Lion King, six time, six, six, time. six, six time champion, so six time guest on this couch. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just going into promo mode. Sorry. I've lost track. Uh, Earl, you have to be, as you've said before, the absolute worst networker of all time. Oh, I admit it. Can, can I I'm explain? Horrible. You had me on five times on this podcast before I had anything going on. When I was auditioning, when I was doing background work, you had all the time in the world for me. Then I go off and I start a YouTube channel. I got start what traveling the, the world channel. It's called Days D A Z E with Jordan the Lion, and ever since I started, Earl will not have me back on the couch. Oh no, I'm just uh, you know I lost a lot of enthusiasm uh, for I think I took like a month off, a couple maybe about a year ago just because I got kicked off the charts and everyone knows that story. Uh, I got shadow banned on Apple Podcasts, which is like the kiss of death because like I was so big on Apple at one point. If you just put an I in, inappropriate or will pop up. So even if you're trying to get the new uh, Incubus album. If you put I in, my podcast would show up. Right, right. Huge for the numbers. Uh, and then the music thing happened, and, and everyone knows I was innocent. I mean, I've only used one song the whole time. I know the artist. He wrote the song. He owns the match. I, I actually had the same thing happen to me early on in YouTube, Earl. A friend of mine had a band, told me I could use their music, and then as they started making, they would do an album every year, they eventually signed on with a publishing company and all the stuff that they had approved me to use all of a sudden got copyright strikes that I had to appeal and get the lead singer who had written the lyrics to say, yes, yes, we told him he could use it and it just turned into a total nightmare. So I feel you. It's it's sometimes out of your hands completely. But I mean, they the frustrating thing with Apple was they uh, did two investigations. They were like, hey, you didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, just put me back on uh, number eight, which is where I was. And then the, Who was doing the investigating, Inspector Clouseau? I mean, well, it's not that hard. I mean, that's what I mean. It's like, <laughs> I mean, I know they have millions of probably people scamming and skimming, and you know, there's no, I know that one website, Fiverr. I think it's two R's, F at five, and then two R's. Right, right. Uh, you can basically pay some dude or girl in Bangladesh to hack into iTunes. Yeah, which is never a good idea because they always find that kind of stuff. They, you know, YouTube does a, they go through once a year and they basically scan your channel for fake accounts because people used to buy subscribers in order to, if you had to have a certain number of subscribers in order to be monetized. And so people were going out and they were paying for hundreds of subscribers. And then once YouTube would go and wash they're all the fake accounts clean. They'd be down next to nothing, you know? Well, I did that on uh, MySpace. I bought uh, 
I mean, at one buying point, friends, you and your Kennedy money. <laughs> well, I think at one point I had like fifty thousand friends on MySpace, which back then was like a lot. Like Dane Cook had like a million, so if you had like fifty thousand, you were like like pretty high up there. But right. then, you know, I, I looked at my top eight one day, and it was eight Chewbaccas. <laughs> so like, oh, okay, but did you know any of them? Probably. I mean, but it defeats the, like, I don't want fake followers. Right, right. I don't either. That's the way, I mean, that's, to be honest, that's why I quit going to the comedy store. I just, when I started doing this vlog, I knew all you guys from the comedy store. I I wasn't trying to be a stand-up comedian or anything, but for some reason, all the well-known stand-up comedians there knew me, liked me, and it accepted me. And when I started my vlog i just wanted to start from scratch i wanted people that were just genuinely into my topics to find me and not people that knew me from other podcasts or different worlds you know i didn't want to cross that i just wanted to start fresh and nobody could say then oh you know you use the comedy store and your friends at the comedy store to get somewhere i just always wanted to to do it from scratch you know close one door open another i'll use anyone right now i, I don't care speaking of can I complain about something else? Sure. Never have I gotten a thank you for introducing you to the lovely and talented Vicki Hamilton. I thanked you a bunch, dude. <laughs> no way. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm just, I was glad to see that happen because I know you had wanted to meet her and, and have her on here for so long. And then you guys really hit it off and became good friends. And oh, yeah. she's such a cool person, you know, to me all the time. Took me to Australia with her. How cool is that? No, she's amazing. I've, I've gotten to travel since I started this channel. I literally went from a cell phone, recording on a cell phone, and a free downloaded app that I edited on my phone. Everything was done on my phone to getting to literally travel all over the world, hang out with like, you know, Kiss gave me like basically free reign to come to any show and vlog anything, you know, that I, that I want to come to. And you have your own... Uh I'm, I, I'm my own boss now. I do everything myself. Yeah. I have no, you know, I get, I get paid from Google, um, from the ads on my channel, but other, as long as I fall within their guidelines, which are pretty broad, I really have no one to answer to. And I really just get to go anywhere that I want, which is like all I ever wanted to do anyway. You know, it's like, how long did you have, uh, like I have, I think something like 2000 subscribers on YouTube and it's just kind of stayed at that level. Like, when did you notice a jump from like a thousand to two thousand to like ten thousand? And then, well, mine, see, what I did was when I started, I started doing a daily vlog. So I just set my mind to every single day I was going to upload something that I felt was worth at least watching. And since we live in Los Angeles, my thought was, well, I love history. How hard can it be to find something every day? that's worth showing someone that can't go here or whatever. So that's what I started doing. But I think the biggest jump that I had was I went to Seattle and, um, and I decided I was going to vlog Kurt Cobain's last days. And I went to, you know, literally from the moment he went and bought the gun to everything after that and, and, um, stayed in the room that he used to get his drugs and he used to go stay in. I stayed there for a week. I showed that room. Of course, when I filmed it, people thought they saw orbs. So then that became something people like, Oh, that room's haunted. Like his ghost is in there, but I filmed everything posted the video. It got a little bit better views on the first day than normal, but nothing outrageous. And then about three days in, all of a sudden I went from 5,000 views 
to like 25,000. And every day after that, it was getting like 15,000 views every day. And next thing I knew within a week, it was like 500,000 views. And it just, people that were watching it were just like, I like your style. And they started going and watching all the other stuff that I'd made before that. And that was always my theory was like, treat it like songs. If someone likes one, they might go check out the other. And the more that they listen to, the more like royalties, I guess you would say you get. So every time somebody goes and watches another video, I make a fraction of a penny that eventually adds up to something. Like how much, like, uh, I'm not asking specifically how much you make, but like, like what's a ballpark figure someone with a popular channel like yours can make? It depends because what it comes down to is views. You get paid, um, I believe it's a half a penny per view. So whatever it comes out to, I, I did the math one time. It's basically 1500 views per dollar. So since I now have four, over 1400 videos, it's just the fact that people have been all over this time finding each one of those and little by little, it just accumulates. So mine all came from having a lot of videos and, um, and since I would upload on a frequent basis, which was every day, people that didn't like me, maybe they'd like, maybe they'd see my title. Maybe like you saw my wonderland video. Maybe they go, Oh, I want to check out this video about wonderland. They start watching it and they go, I hate this guy that's making the video, but they'll watch enough to see the houses or whatever I'm showing. And my theory was if you make it like Carson, where you're doing it every day, eventually you just grow on them. Like people, the things that people don't like about you, they end up liking your, your content enough to where they put up with you. And then they like you somewhere in the world, you know, like what, like a heel in wrestling, you hate the guy forever. And then all of a sudden you realize I hate to love him, you know, and, and then the people that hate you become your fans in a weird way sometimes. And how do you pick the topics? Like I'm looking at your site right now. You have, uh, you know, the Eddie Nash one, which I loved, uh, cause, cause I'm fascinated with that whole story. You've got, uh, a home tours of uh, Homeby Hills, which is like for those of you not LA local, you think Bel Air and Beverly Hills are money? The homes in Homeby Hills, like you're talking minimum thirty million and up. I mean, let's put it this way: the tour, the video that you're talking about, I probably only show ten homes. The homes were lived in by Burt Reynolds, Lonnie Anderson, Elvis. The home that Michael Jackson died in. Rod Stewart lives on that street. Barbara Streisand lives on that street. Mick Jagger owns a home on that street. George Harrison owns a home on that street. Sonny and Cher lived on that street. That's only 10 houses. So that tells you, I mean, it takes up a And when I was out filming that, I was filming Barbara Streisand's and security saw me on camera and came out and talked to me. <laughs> and like what, like you must run into some issues like that. Like, well, were they like, Hey, who the fuck are you? They just come out and they go, can I help you? That's what they always say is they say, can I help you? I say, no. I'm just taking photos of famous houses. And then they say, okay, sometimes they'll say, can you not? And I'll say, well, I'm within my rights because I'm not on your property. And I'll, sometimes I'll film it for the drama. Like if it's, if they're kind of rude about it, I'll just keep filming it and I'll keep that in the video. Cause then you'll see like my fans, they'll go, 
oh man, that was messed up. You weren't hurting anybody. Okay. For instance, the Wonderland video that you, you mentioned that you like the one it's, I show Eddie Nash's home and I show where the, the Wonderland murders happen. The woman that lives there is notorious for hating people stopping by. If you watch my video, she comes out on the balcony and flips me off the whole time. But I just kept going because I just figured, you know, this is funny content. And now when people watch it, they go, I love how you just kept going with your story as she flipped you off the whole time. And I said, I was standing on the opposite side of the street. You know, I can't help but that that street's quiet. I, w- I was well within my rights to film a house or, you know, I watched the Scientology documentaries. I, I saw how they did it. It was like, if they're not on your property, then you're allowed to photograph or film anything. And so I, I look at it like that. I'm like, as long as I'm not on your property, I feel like I'm not invading your privacy. And then how do you like, I'm a big wrestling fan, as you know, I mean, uh, if you've listened to the five previous appearances with Jordan and me, we always talk a little wrestling. Oh, yeah. Uh, you did one a couple of weeks ago about a league and a guy that I, as a kid, I remember <laughs> seeing the local commercials for the UWF. Yeah. Herb like, Abrams. Just like this coked up, uh, like he was like an out of control Eric Bischoff. Like, you know, like Eric Bischoff was always very... Uh, business-like and, and calculating and you know he fit the part of the announcer and then the he i mean herb abrams was like this maniac so you want to do a story on the uwf for example and herb abrams how do you research okay i need to go to this arena or like this hall where they okay have that's a that's like that's a, a really good question because this is really how i approach everything is I'm usually watching an interview or I'm watching something that I have no intention of making a vlog from. In this case, it was actually the dark side of the ring. They were they were doing one on UWF and Herb Abrams. And I went down the rabbit hole. I said, well, I want to see where it was based out of. Well, it turns out it was based out of Marina Del Rey. And I go, well, then where did they film it? So I start looking. I find out it was at Chuck Landis Country Club. And I I had vlogged. Yeah. And I had vlogged that before. So I go, okay, so this is great. I can talk about, you know, who all he, he lured over, how it got started. And I'll go to where they filmed the fury hour that first year's worth of stuff. And I'll start there. And then I start looking, I'm like, well, where's the office? Couldn't find the Marina Del Rey office. And then I found out, well, they were supposed to have a pay-per-view that never happened because her burned through the money. And it was at the Olympic auditorium, which I have always wanted to vlog and never got down there. So I said, this is perfect. I'll go with where it started and where it ended. And that's how I tell my story. If I, I just, I believe in taking people to the place where it happened. I don't care if it's not there anymore. If it's an empty lot, I've been there. I've been to film stuff and they're literally tearing it down when I get there. And it's just like, for me, it's like capturing the history while I can in the best form I can. And really just trying to inspire people to get out of their house and go see stuff on their own. Well, that's the uh, Olympic auditorium and is an iconic uh, building. That's now a Korean church off the five. Right. Uh, but like, that's where uh, WWF would have shows. Uh, Gorgeous. George. Uh, dude, I interviewed um, May West assistant and he told me that was her favorite thing to do. Her dad was a boxer. So she always went to the wrestling and boxing at Grand Olympic Auditorium. Yeah. I mean, one of my first uh, comedy influences was a radio. Uh, it's it's hard to describe this show. It was on every uh, not Monday through Friday at 530. His name was Jim Healy. Uh, and he did like, uh, he had sources all over the city and he was a sports guy. 
So if a Dodger, say Steve Garvey, was cheating on his wife at uh, the polo lounge, like Jim would know the bartender. And the bartender right. would call him. And he had a half-hour show every day of uh, sound clips. Uh, like there's a very famous one um, of when Dave Kingman. Right, right, baseball player. player. He, in one game against the Dodgers, had three home runs, eight RBIs. <laughs> Are you talking about Lummy, Tommy Lasorda's quote? Yeah. <laughs> and the sports reporter, his first name's Paul. I, I, he's a black sports reporter, Paul something. I think he's now a New York sports guy. Yeah. Asked, um, Tommy Lasorda, what's your opinion of Kingman's performance? And for the next five minutes, it's fuck him. Yeah, tirade. Guy. You what kind that? of question is yeah, that? Yeah, it's an honest question. Yeah. Maybe an honest answer. Fuck. And just, F, F, F. It's that's one an all timer. That's an all time great. He had he was the boxing announcer at the Olympic Auditorium, and his son now Patrick is a sport. No, uh, just a regular reporter on NBC. But like, uh, it was, I always try and tell people about Jim Healy because his it was hinged with like not necessarily racism, but like he would make athletes look so fucking stupid. Because uh, he had, all oh, d- dude, you can't even watch old matches now with the commentary. I, I don't know. Did I send that one to you? I sent one. I thought um, that was Jesse Ventura calling Tito Santana a taco. Vent. No, it was, dude. It was way worse than that. It was gorgeous, or not gorgeous, George. It was um, Jerry Lawler. Nature Nature Boy. Buddy it was it was Buddy Rose, and everything they're saying out there is homophobic. Everything, every every word that comes out of their mouth is, look at this little fancy boy. You know, just that kind of stuff the whole time. This is why I wish, and it's where I want to take the podcast into twenty twenty one. Is like. A subject like this. Good luck. Just well, probably. Prob- I mean, you know, Gone Andy, with the Wind has just been taken off streaming. So good luck with anything humor related, or you know, if it's going to be even related to mentioning racism at this point. I feel like. But I mean, there's a clip like I could instantly pull up of Jerry Lawler calling Jimmy the Boogie Woogie Man uh, a valiant, a fag in a promo. Right, right. Like on television. Oh, like, totally. Faggot, and I'm like. Huh? Well, I I just heard um, on Cornette's podcast somebody asking a question and said, "Jim, what do you think of uh, WWE rebroadcasting?" And it was some WCW thing or or, uh, or Smoky Mountain thing, and them redoing your commentary. And it was because he was making a lot of those kind of comments in there about like whoever the wrestlers were. He was making a lot, which you know, in the in hindsight, it's like that's his character. That's what he. That's what Cornette did. It's a different era. But yeah, it's, yeah, totally, dude. Totally. I mean, obviously, racism is horrible. Like, we joke around a lot. And, like, I, I think I said this on a, cause I'm the only white guy on an all black cartoon. Like, I can't understand, begin to comprehend what minority, certain minorities have gone through, like the cop and George Floyd. Like, it, it, it's mind blowing to me that you know their defense. One, the main guy would be like, hey, this is how I'm trained. It's not my fault. And then, you know, the other three are like, we didn't stop him because which is which is one of my I mean, not to go on that, but that is one of my complaints is, you know, instead of holding the entire um, career, I get our profession as the villain. I, I do feel like sometimes you do have to realize that power is a 
it's an intoxicating thing. And not everyone is meant to deal with power. A lot of people are given a job that they're not meant to handle that kind of power. And I think uh, being an officer or something like that, that's the ultimate challenge of that. And, and I think we're seeing a lot of cases where people are failing to be able to, you know, keep their cool in the face of that, of, you know, a troubled time. And it sucks that now, you know, people are having their businesses destroyed and, and, you know, people are feeling like their voice is not heard and no one has a solution. Cause I don't know what the, what is the solution, you know? I mean, uh, probably should could start with uh, how police officers are trained. That's what I mean. It's like how hiring the right people that can hand that you know. You got to screen serious evaluation. Serious. I mean, that's that's one of the toughest jobs there has to be. You know, to to be asked to be called in to scary situations. You know, I wouldn't want that job. Honestly, I do everything I can to avoid interaction with the law in every way, because I I'm just one of those people. Like I, I just, I really want to kind of be desperado in life. I, I don't want any interactions on, you know, questioning my life, but I, I get a lot of people don't have that choice that they're, they feel like they're targeted, you know, and I had a great friend who passed away a year ago, maybe the nicest person I ever met, honestly. And, um, and he was African-American. He was, uh, like six foot four, big, tall guy. And I, I said, Leonard, you got to be the nicest teddy bear dude I ever met. Have you ever had, like, do you, have you ever felt like people have been racist towards you? Cause he just loves everybody. He goes, Jordan, I have, I try not to let it hold me down, but yes, realistically, I, I've seen it a lot in my life. And it's just like, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter how good you are or, or, or how bad you are. You know, you get treated one in the same. And I think that's what people are complaining about now, unfortunately, you know, that it's time to change that. But how do you how do you change it? I mean, you got to like, I think 90 percent of cops are great. Yeah. So 10 percent, you got to go, OK, how do we get rid of these 10 percent? and you know, it's got to have better, I think, psychological screening uh, to there's got to be some. Uh, and of course, people are going to still sneak through the cracks. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, I told the story. I had a friend I went to high school with. He applied to be a sheriff. He got in and he asked to go to Inglewood. Like, like he wanted to be in like Inglewood, which is a very rough part of life. Right. Right. And I'm like, why would you? asked to go there like you could have picked beverly hills right right and i think they start you there anyway generally i just want to fuck with right right of course you know so uh there's got to be ways of screening people like that and go uh -uh, well the dude let's take take it back to the hillside stringer that kenneth bianchi he was one constantly posing as an officer constantly being turned down by every, every every test he took every screening he took for any kind of law enforcement he was turned down and yet the guy just continued to not let it you know it's just like if he slept got slipped through the crack one time think of what he could have done you know under the name of law you know yeah i mean it's i don't think there is one right answer it's uh it's definitely change how they're trained yeah Uh, i mean but apparently there was some long time beef between George Floyd and that particular officer. So not that that makes it right. No, right, right. Of course not. But, uh, you know, there's just eight minutes, almost nine. And, and, and 
other officers around Just which which there. but but also one of them who you know um I'm not defending but there is that instance where one of those guys it was like his fourth day on the force at that point you're, you you do get to a, it's like where if you ask something they're saying shut the f up you've been on the force 4 days we know what we're doing don't you know rookie or whatever it's like you're you kind of feel like you're in a position of not knowing whether you can jump in and stop that and then you know it's like that's got to be a tough position to you know nobody should be in that kind of position to begin with obviously but uh, yeah i mean it it's cuz you know what's going to happen to the trial if they don't get the maximum we 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 saw you know we've seen it before we've seen the riots and stuff that came from the Rodney King. Right. You know, it's a. I was here. It was brutal, but I was on the 19th floor, so I didn't feel too. <laughs> well, you're not on the 19th floor anymore. <laughs> well, this was much worse than the LA, the 92 riots, because they got into the good neighborhoods. Well, I'm getting, time. I'm scared because, you know, you have to take into consideration people right now are, you know, a lot of people haven't got to work for a couple of months. They really need money right now. The, the $1,200 stimulus in some parts of the country might have helped, but if you live in Los Angeles or anywhere outside of it, the cost of living is considerably different. And you're, you got people that, you know, might see it as an opportunity to, to use what's going on as a, you know, a, a chance to benefit themselves, you know, and, and it's, some of it is outrage and some of it turns into opportunism, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, it, but even like then I think it, 90% of the protesters are great people. It's a great cause. It's like, it's sad that we have to go through another death to even ramp up the subject. But there's that 10% who are the looters. I don't, I almost don't even want to put them in with the protesters because I don't think they are protesters. They're not, but yeah, but the, but, but in like, the, in the face of people being on the streets and the, you know, the enforcement of curfews and all that stuff, they're just all getting lumped together, you know, in a lot of cases. And the looters are morons because that, that one store, uh supreme is a black owned business like it and they serve more i mean they're they're high-end well wasn't tyler the creator's business on that i was gonna say because i thought he had one on fairfax this is across the street by the way uh the inappropriate earl stencil team did a fantastic job (laughs) making sure those stencils stayed strong during the ride you still got some paint on your fingernails earl yeah i had paint on my uh I mean, I almost got arrested several times. I mean, I guess it's graffiti, but not, I mean. I mean, yeah, this is the least of the worries right now. Well, it's accepted in Fairfax and Melrose area because that's how, and Chandler taught me this, the SoundCloud rappers do it. Like, Yeah, but dude, dude there's there's Banksy's on walls in Beverly Hills over by where the old, um, the old, uh, what was it, the um, Friars Club is. I'm over there taking a photo of it. And on camera, they come out and talk to me and ask me why I'm why I'm standing there taking photos of that. And they got plexiglass over it. I'm like, so some people are allowed to graffiti and some are not. Well, I would always do it late at night. Uh, sometimes where there's when there are no people out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and it, it's like it, in some sense you think it's the safest time to do it. Right. But and if there's a camera that you're the only one they're going to catch. There's only <laughs> cops out. So yeah. We would take Lois. Uh, blame Lois. Lois is great because you know a, a cop drives by, you're just walking your dog, uh, and so of course I've got a backpack with two cans of spray paint sticking out, a stencil that's like 
you know, it was kind of tough to jam into my Jordan backpack. You got to make make it out of rubber, you know, that where you can roll it up oh, or it whatever. Is. No, it is. I mean, I'll show it to you. After. Okay. Then I got the posters. Chandler got like a hundred posters made, and uh, you know, so I'm, I'm I've got you know, she or I or both of us are carrying these posters at three in the morning, and uh, I've got a huge can of adhesive spray and you know uh it's like but it's why not just put it all in a wheelbarrow and just be obvious might as well and to the people who have taken down my posters trust me i got a lot more of them (laughs) and i got all the time in the world i got more time than you i got more money than you i've certainly got more inappropriate posters in my garage more metabolism than you (laughs) to go out and walk it well you have to do like when the uh you're not doing any sets you got nothing but time i'm telling you but like when the uh pandemic started i said okay this is going to separate the men from the boys in the world of comedy yep you're going to see when this is over who's worked and who hasn't i thought what can i do that no other for once i was like what can i do that no other comics slash podcast <laughs> is that when you join tiktok yeah why not? <laughs> yeah i mean i'm not good at channels she blows up on tick she has over like a million and a half likes nice uh, i've got like 2200 she's just you're, you're she getting gets, there well she gets the uh the the uh fans or the humor on there like i look at most tiktok videos i've never laughed once I just, right I, I well i just yeah I, i'm the same the way i used to date a girl briefly that was always sending me hers and it was always her like singing something and i was like it's copywritten songs so like i don't know what you're trying to get i mean she would spend all day filming one of these things and i was like okay well i mean just didn't really get what you got out of it you know but like chandler puts these amazing she cuts the videos like perfectly she puts the music to them uh like hers are like and i'm not just saying this like they're very well done like, yeah well produced uh, yeah i mean because that's what she does for a living so uh, by the way, watch Holy Moly Thursday nights. Tonight's the, uh, I think the finale, 8 p.m. ABC, Rob Riggle, Joe Tessitore, the voice of Monday Night Football. Get him a better partner than Booger McFarland, please. <laughs> I mean, by lo- I don't know Booger McFarland. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he would say the stupidest things. Uh, the Steelers need to score if they want to win. Like, no shit. <laughs> yeah, well, as, as opposed to not scoring. And then you leave, that kind of leaves Joe Tessitore out there. Like, what do you say to that? Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, so, uh, you know, Joe and Rob are like, do you watch Holy Moly? No, I don't watch any. I, I only watch basically like streaming TV, right. YouTube, Netflix, that oh, kind of wow. stuff. Like we started watching Animal Kingdom again because we've, we've seen everything. Jeez. So, uh, and you and you're taking 8 mile walks every day. Yeah, I do. And as you can see, I've got the elliptical right there. Yeah. Uh so cuz I've got I need a machine to feel like I'm doing something. Right. Like me and Chandler would do these. Why don't you get a punching bag? I don't want to turn the house into like a you know, a, a gym. I mean, like that. What do you consider that second bedroom up there then? Cause I'm one of the few people I also could uh, no, no Moran is going to top me on this one. I've been in the Jersey room. I've taken home sneakers from that room. So I know how much stuff you've collected. Well, that's going to be the world's preeminent podcast room. Uh, when the Jersey sale of the whole collection is complete. Uh, cause then I want to, uh, and I'm not sure how the setup's going to be. I, I don't want it to look like anyone else's podcast. So 
I don't want it to look like the Ovans where it's two seats. Right. You know, I'm. Uh, we'll have Kamala make all the art and everything. Oh, Nobody's going to match that. I'm going to. Well, I'm going to have the picture you just gave me of Brian E. Thompson. Oh yeah, let's talk about that. The uh, the bad guy from Cobra. Uh, you talk about him constantly. Well, he did say he would do the pod like years ago. I I Twitter. I think I reached out to him. Said, "Hey, I'm a big fan." And and like I said. Uh, you know, I, I ask any celebrity I can think of, will you come on my podcast? I just tweet at him. Yeah. I'm shameless in that regard. If, if I'm good at anything, it's that. Like I tweeted at Ralph Macchio the other day. Hey, will you come on the Inappropriate Earl podcast in West Hollywood when this is all done? I'm not going to ask you one question about Karate Kid. I want to talk to you about Up the Academy, which is his very first movie. And it's still to this day one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. It's typical 1980. You know, just really juvenile humor. Yeah, yeah. It's an all boys school, and he gets kind of, he's in there. You talk about a movie that probably couldn't be made. <laughs> His four friends that were like, it was like Spicoli and Eric Stoltz and Nicolas Cage in Fast Times was a black dude, an Arab guy who was always stealing stuff. And some fat white guy who was really horny. Oh, see, I thought you were going to say a Russian guy who was always lifting weights or something. Well, the like the vixen in Up the Academy was Ringo Starr's wife, Barbara Bach. Oh, okay, okay. They got her tits popping out in every scene, and she's like teaches uh, some class in in the boys' school. And uh, Tom Poston, who's like a pretty iconic, of course, dude. He's <laughs> like an old school gay guy who's always trying to get the because it's I guess the grades in this boys' school are. I don't know, eighth grade to like uh, the end of high school. And he's, he's always trying to get the young boys to take off their clothes, to do laundry. And like, you couldn't do it. He was no. great on Newhart, dude. I remember him from all those Bob Newhart shows oh, and he things. Was like, he was like uh, Jeff Scott from the comedy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean that in a compliment to both. Uh, but like, you look at that movie now, it's like pretty homophobic, borderline racist in terms of how the characters were portrayed. Like the lead actor, Ron Liebman, who I think was married to Linda Lavin. Who, uh, okay, I was going to say the name sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. She was in Alice, of course. I mean, he's a very serious actor. He's, he's like the 60s and 70s version of, say, uh, Ed Harris. Okay, yeah. I think he was in Norma Ray. Uh, right, right, right. He was so embarrassed by Up the Academy, he said, don't put my name in the credits. Oh, yelling smithied himself, huh? Yeah. He, was like, <laughs> he probably saw, went to the premiere. and was like, Made up a name for the credits. Because he's portrayed in that as like a horny, uh, he was the, the head, not brother, but teacher of the school and like, for a serious actor, it's like, dude, did your agent tell you what this movie was about? Like, it's kind of like Showgirls bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, so I'm starting to just tweet at people and, and most say no. But then yesterday, I'm watching a documentary on Apple, not Apple, uh, Amazon Prime called Soul on Ice. Okay. And it's about black hockey players. And it's a serious documentary. Right. I just tweeted the maker said hey i'm a hockey fan of this podcast in west hollywood will you come on he's like yeah sure no problem good dude but well he's got nothing else i mean you not a whole lot you can promote other than doing podcasts and stuff so well i mean if he's uh, willing to come over he knows he has to come over here right yeah well he's in new york but he's like a, a serious documentary but you know uh i hope people like it but 
you know, with podcast guests, like it's it's a fine line of you want interesting people. Like this guy's interesting. His name's Damon Mason. Uh, you know, he's like a, got a, like a John Singleton vibe about right, him. right. Uh, and you know, obviously black hockey players. I'm like, I gotta have this guy on. Oh yeah, that'd be um, great. Well, because he talks about some of the famous black hockey players, and then the the main arc of the documentary is about this one kid who plays for the Owen Sound Attack, which is a junior team, and about his uh path to the NHL, and and uh, so I just. Anytime I can talk about hockey, I will. But, you know, it's like getting people like him who are interesting and then getting someone who has good social media. Right, right. It's a like a double-edged sword of, like, you know, you want your friends on. Like, you're both. Like, you're interesting and you have massive, you know, YouTube following. And so it's like sometimes I struggle with, you know. Well, what did Brian E. Thompson tell you when you asked him? Did he, you he said, said he, he would come on. Uh, he didn't seem like that interested, to be honest. With you. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Well, well, can I, can I reenact my moment with him for you? Cause I, cause I accidentally almost sabotaged it for you by telling him the truth. And I didn't mean to, but he, uh, I, well, let's put it this way. Um, a friend of mine, probably a more well-known YouTuber than me, Adam, the woo, uh, was going to the Hollywood show. I don't know if you know what the Hollywood show is. Explain it, because it, it looked to me like it was like a Comic-Con type of... Uh... Co- ho- the Hollywood show is a um, quarterly convention that starts on like Thursday or Friday, goes all weekend, and it's basically anybody that's done TV, movies, wrestling, anything, anybody who wants to basically pay for a table and sell... Their signature eight by tens, selfies with them, things like that. It's an opportunity. People that live around here that are, that have been in something notable to go and make a little bit of money and meet some fans. And um, we we're driving there, and my friend says, "Hey, Brian E. Thompson from Cobra is going to be there." I go, "You got to be shitting me!" And he goes, "No, no, he is. Why?" And I go, "My friend Earl talks about wanting to have this guy on constantly." I said, "We got to go and talk to him." He goes. He looks pretty creepy, dude. Like in the movie and stuff. I go like meaning like he seems like he'd be a scary, dude. And I go, yeah, but we we got to. I got to try. You know, I got to see if I can make this happen. So we're in there and we eventually see Bryony e. Thompson and some guy wants a photo with him. And Bryony e. Thompson starts like lining up the photo like he's got some sort of camera knowledge. Like he he seemed like he really knew what he was doing with a camera. As a matter of fact, they're doing this for probably twenty minutes. So we leave, come back. I walk up to him and I said, Hey, can I buy a, um, a signed photo for my friend? $40. You can pay me later. Um, 40 bucks. Yeah. It was 40, much. 40 bucks. Um, and, um, so he's there and I go, can I ask you a question? If I buy a photo, will you consider doing my friend's podcast? And he goes, does anybody listen to it? And I said, Oh yeah, yeah. I said, he's, you know, top of iTunes. Uh, I said, he's had, you know, pretty notable guests. And he goes like who? And I go, Roddy Piper. And he goes, he's dead. I go, well, he was alive when he did it. <laughs> so then I they can't fucking help if my guest died. Well, here's where I hurt you because I go, I go, no, no, Earl, Earl's a big fan of yours. He always says like, you're one of the people he wants to have on, you know, more than anybody. And that kind of makes him a little skeptical right there. But then he says, I go, I go, uh, you know, he, d- people listen to it. It wouldn't be like, it'd be a waste of your time or anything. He goes, Where's his studio at? I said, well, he does it out of his condo. He goes, where at? And I said, West Hollywood. He gives me a weird look. I go, 
He's not going to hit on you, dude. He just like he just want, he just does it out of his house. I think when I started saying condo and this and that or whatever, he kind of I don't know if he thought it was maybe not legit or whatever. But then I said, no, no, no. Here it is. I sh- brought it up, showed Rob Riggle, I think, had been on recently, showed him that Rob Riggle had been on. And um, and then he gave me his email, which is on the back of your signed eight by ten for you to contact him to have him on. I'm going to, uh, what's that say? I don't want to give his email. Is it uh, what I think it says? Yes. Fan one. Uh, I'm going to email him right now just to get the mojo going. Uh, I'm a one-man operation. I can interview. I can do emails to get future guests. Well, because I want, like, he's a perfect example of someone uh, who, because I know he has a very interesting story about Cobra which was uh you know cobra i think was 87 minutes in theaters but the original print was like over two hours like it was like a crazy long movie and it's even got the story of it was originally the script for beverly hills cop and wasn't it gonna, supposed to be like they were supposed to make a second one or they're supposed to i mean it did a, well originally where it there should have been a sequel uh and you know Stallone loves fucking sequels, so right. I'm I know they're doing a TV show. I I don't know if Fox is in charge of the, his movie Nighthawks, which I would be down with. Okay, uh, because that happened so long, and that's probably my favorite Stallone movie. Uh, I know it's like Rocky and Rambo and all that stuff, but uh, I, you know it's so long ago that it would be a, an original idea to like young people like oh I, i've never seen that movie nighthawks what's this uh but like he's like the perfect example of like for me i'd want him on the podcast just for selfish reasons because i'm a fan i'll guess his social media is pretty poor let me just look him up on twitter well there's nothing wrong with that you know man um like that's been all of my success. Honestly, you were asking me like what makes me decide what I'm going to vlog or make a video about. I only vlog stuff that I'm interested in. I don't do stuff that's popular just because it's popular. I have to be into it and excited about it to do it. So I, I I always find that people go like, say if you have Bryony Thompson, he's not somebody a lot of people have on. So people get excited because you're the only one that was able to get that one conversation out of him that nobody else could. And I'm for me, like even if it's a movie location, if I'm going to do something that nobody else has seen for me, put it this way, there's a great movie Robert Rodriguez did early on in his career with Selma Hayek and it was starring David Arquette, our pal David Arquette. Um, I love this movie. It's called Road Racers. One of the greatest kind of greaser movies you can watch. Nobody knows of it. I'm at Buster Keaton's uh, ceremony for his unveiling of a new plaque. David Arquette is there dressed up in like a straw hat and everything buster keaton out and i go up to him i go hey dude delaney and he turns around he goes wow man nobody's called me that in a while i go any chance i can interview you about road racers after this he goes absolutely and he did he as soon as he was done with everything for the day he found me went over let me interview him get some footage and then i went and made a video out of the filming locations Hardly anybody watched it, but who do you think retweeted it when I posted it on Twitter? David Arquette. Oh, he's great. He, he's the best, dude. The nicest, one of the nicest guys in entertainment. He was like the first. Well, uh, I had a few early on celebrities to come on here. Don Fry, who's like a famous right. fighter. David Arquette was like the first big name. I think he was the 12th episode. Uh, 
And he said, I'll be at your house at 2 o'clock. And I'm thinking, great, he'll probably show up at 4.30. <laughs> and literally at 2 o'clock, I get a knock on the door. Now, I, my secure... My building's pretty secure. Like, I, I still... Hey, I saw Tate Fletcher out front, so... I mean, you have to, like, you can't sneak in. I have no idea how he got into the building, but at 2 o'clock on the nose, he was like, let's go. And uh, it was great. And uh, Dude, he's always been great to us. Oh, oh, I mean, always. I met him... One of the times he was just hanging out at the comedy store out on the patio, and I think he was talking to Tony Hinchcliffe, and, and I walked by, and Tony was like, hey, Jordan, you know David? We start talking. I go, oh, man, I hate to be that guy, but uh, you know, my best friend turned me on to road racers. It's his birthday today. Any chance that we could give him a call? And he goes, absolutely. Put him on the phone. Like we, and we did. <laughs> like, How cool is that? I mean, the guy is just like so down to earth and nice. Yeah, I mean, he gets it. He's famous. He's successful. He's and, and, and I also have heard, um, not from him, but I've heard um, that he's pretty well known or I guess in certain circles, he donates a lot of money to help people that most people don't know. You know, he, he's one of those silent, here's a bunch of money, take care of this family, take care of that family kind of people. The good ones do that. You don't have to fucking. Exactly. You know, like whenever I donate, uh, I, I never tell anyone, uh, you know, you do it anonymously so you don't get the clout, you fucking baboons. Yeah. You know, like all these white <laughs> comics now supporting Black Lives Matter, but they said more inward jokes in the fucking NWA rap part. Oh, absolutely. Oh, dude, wait till the comedy store opens back up and see who feels comfortable saying you know going down any road about what's going on in the the world you know i mean i have a lot of to me they're funny jokes about not black lives matter but just like uh you know just this whole new world we're gonna be living in uh, i mean just the fact that like that restaurant in santa barbara it, it took a pandemic oh they, sambos yeah oh dude i've been there but they just changed the name of it did they really oh wow i'm glad i vlogged that's the other reason i vlogged because you never know when things are going to change yeah but it's like that place has been around for 40 50 years big time and you needed a pandemic race riots protests against police brutality and uh you know all the other shit that's going on in the world to figure out oh, maybe sambo's isn't a great name for a restaurant yeah because if yeah. you look up sambo's i'm not going to tweet the image right it's too hot right now it's like a 14-year-old kid who looks like Kamala wearing a Kamala the wrestler wearing the bone ring. You know, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> they yeah. all became... Uh, yeah, it was... Be well, and, and it was... It wasn't started necessarily... I mean, I, from what I remember vlogging it, it was based off of a book. They were basically trying to use an, use an image from a book as their mascot and didn't... I not necessarily intended it to be taken in the worst possible way, but it, over time that connotation has become worse than what it was when it started. So yeah, I mean, at some point, what do they, what do they change it to? Sammy's? Uh, Denny's is actually what they changed. It to. Oh, it's a dent. Wow. But the one in Santa Barbara is like, you know, Santa Barbara. Well, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one I've been to. Great omelets. I mean, forget the name and it's always packed. Yeah. I mean, but it's a pretty white, uh santa barbara, santa barbara is, is very very white a lot of old victorian turn of the century homes that have been passed down generations from what i it's like old money uh, know of and like it's it's so i think if you were going to have a restaurant named sambo santa barbara was probably the best place in the country uh <laughs> yeah but you know it's just 
I mean, I'm going to be joking about shit like that just because it's funny to me that that's what it took. You might be ahead of the curve, man. You you were doing rat jokes three, four years ago. Now they're the stars of the Keiko commercial. So I should have been the dad in that commercial. <laughs> well, you're best friends with the singer, man. Why couldn't he put a word in for you? Well, uh, you know, I'm a voiceover guy now, so I'm, I'm in a SoundCloud comic. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm switching up the game. But, you know, it's like, where are we? You better not switch it too much, because if you're ever going to release your own action figure, you're going to need to be visual. You're, you can't just be hiding behind a, a blue guy with a mustache all the time. Well, I mean, you know, it's like I, I had a conversation with someone from Roast Battle the other night. I'm like, hey, let's, uh, let's maybe take down some clips. <laughs> you, oh some not all <laughs> well i was like uh dude i mean i i, I won't say who i was talking to because you know, it doesn't really matter i guess but when moses <laughs> uh someone from the show let's just put it that way and i'm like hey i'm i'm being selfish right now and thinking of me but you know when you look at some of the the, the battles and the, and the jokes and the subject matters you know uh you know we're all going down so, but that's uh, what you know but that's what sucks because patrice o'neill like god rest his soul man he said it so great and i know it's hard for people to hear right now but he said he's like you can't take away a comedian's right to be funny you're not always going to be funny but they got to be able to have the opportunity to throw those jokes out there if they don't land they don't land but you know, to tell someone like to be the police of funny, you know, when those jokes were done, that's the that's what the spirit of roast battle is, is get as down and dirty as you can to, you know, hit someone where they don't see it coming. Well, really, when I did the character, the first, what are we going to do? Get rid of the Dean Martin roasts and the Don Rickles albums. And I mean, he hello, dummy, you couldn't listen to oh, now. That's my favorite. Com that's the one comedy album I direct everyone to. Oh, it's a great one. But, uh, but you've heard it, you know, it's like, Oh, I mean, there's that one joke. He says, I guess, you know, it, it wasn't on uh video. So it's just audio. And I, apparently there was a black guy in the back. Uh, Cause he's probably playing a Vegas showroom, which aren't, that big i mean you could see people in the back he's like hey where's the black guy in the back uh, if you see teeth when he's smiling it's not an ivory hunt <laughs> yeah i've you heard could do that joke like, yeah exactly exactly or even the one he did to the mexican waiter i guess there was like a mexican waiter serving the, the front row and uh he asked the waiter a question just doing some crowd work and i guess the waiter didn't say anything he's like yeah and you wonder why you end up a porter the rest of your life and like it's a stupid joke right it's if you like break it down, he's basically calling Mexicans stupid. Yeah. You couldn't do that joke now or, or, uh, but, uh, he did even did a gay joke about, uh, a guy gays. in the. it was like the first, he, I think he was the first comic to even approach gays in the military. Um, he was like, yeah, you know, I knew the one guy in my unit was gay when he was like out of the foxhole, out of the foxhole. And the gay guy's like, I'm a fox. And the black guy said, well, I'm a werewolf. Like, it's like, <laughs> But he did like that, that black man, you know, like, right, uh, right. Uh, yeah. Swing low, you know, that voice. And it's like, you, you couldn't do that. The joke today. Yeah. He had three, he had two racist and one sexual orientation joke in one sentence. Like Don Rickles would not be allowed to work. Well, the question, the question I guess is then do we, do you start getting rid of stuff that's inappropriate or. Does, does some stuff get grandfathered in because, you know, is Blazing Saddles considered racist because it's racial? 
they're not they're the whole movie they're they're making it they're making fun of this the stupidity in how the sheriff's being treated but a lot of people don't see it that way. You know what I mean? Like, and that was the whole intention was, was for, you know, kind of the white people to be the butt of the joke in that movie. Well, that was like the whole uh, impetus of me and the, and the character, uh, the house hater for the first two years was like, I'm actually making fun of white people. Right. I'm saying this is how stupid some white people are that they have these. Yeah. It's satire. And well, it's the ultimate satire. Cause you have Brian Moses as a black host. Yeah, I think he's gonna have an actual uh, Archie Bunker type uh, on the show when he's black himself, uh, like, and, and you, you know, so and the fact that the all Negro wave, uh, you know, was led by a white guy, like, it was just stupid. It was just stupid, right? It, which a lot of times, you know, that's the the Benny Hill style funny. You know what I mean? Is the painting your point with the absurdities. But you know it's so hot right now. Uh, it's just, Are you gonna? I mean, you don't really have anything in your act that's no. I mean, misconstrued like, in any way. I mean, most of your stuff is really like I think is as black as you get is taught maybe a, a OJ joke here and there. You don't really go. You know, you, two people. So like, uh, I'm racist. Yeah, that's what I. Well, OJ Andy was. Andy knew him. So uh, well, we were acquaintances. We weren't exactly friends. But like when I did the roast of Shane Doan. Uh, the hockey player in Phoenix and George LaRock was there. And George LaRock is this massive, I think now he's like 350 pound uh, pro hockey player, but he's not fat. Like he's just, I've never seen someone with this guy's body. He's got a pro wrestler's body. He's just, he's like, he's a giant. Uh, and I said, uh, I think one of the jokes I did early on was, Hey, it's, uh, I was told George LaRock was going to be here tonight, but, and I, I'm looking at him. He's on the dais, uh, but uh, he didn't show up. But it's an honor to meet Venus Williams. She looks incredible. <laughs> and the crowd blew up. But like, could I do that joke now? I know, because then you're you're on a lot of levels right there. Where it, well, I'm some she people looks like a man, which right, she doesn't right? But then people, yeah, they're taking it from every. You know, are you ma- are you making fun of transgender? Are yeah. you making fun? You know, like oh, when I wrote for Doctor Ken on the uh, Alec Baldwin roast. By the way, a shout out for. Uh, uh, Comedy Central not paying me a dollar for making their show better. Uh, What's new? Jesus, welcome to the business. Uh, Dude, that place, that is the kiss of death, I feel like, doing something with Comedy Central. Well, I mean, I, I think... Uh, Let's put it this way. You're above it, Earl. You're above working with them. Oh, you know, no, like, I'm really not, to be honest with you. But like my experience with Roast Battle was... Uh, it was like an education and how... A, a show work. Yeah. Welcome to Hollywood moment. And then it got to the network and they think, well, we can't do this. We can't do that. And I understand they have sponsors and you, you your corporation like Viacom, you can't, but it's like, why did you guys want this show in the first place? Cause the wild outlaw, just politically uh, beyond incorrect humor, you know, and now you guys, you know, when I did my battle against Tom Ballard, who's a very funny Australian gay comic, uh I, let's just say i got a lot of notes on my jokes about him. <laughs> like I, and you know i'm nervous my first time on tv uh no i don't count bench warmers uh see on the red carpet at the village in westwood <laughs> uh but it's my first time like being seen as a comic kind of even though roast battles not stand yeah but you were acknowledged i mean that up until then your probably biggest accomplishment was the comedy store 
being uh, regular. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And bench warmers. I mean, it's pretty neat for me to look back and go, I was in a movie that made over $100 million. Yeah. Pretty cool. But I was a very small part of it. But uh, so I get these notes about two hours before the battle uh, saying, you can't say come. Can you say semen? You can't say fag. Can you say homosexual? And I'm like, these are going to ruin the jokes. Like it's, it's, it's Right. Sometimes it really is the beat. And I, I hate uh, to quote Tommy, but it, it really is sometimes. Well, it's, yeah. Oh, Jesus, maybe Tommy was right. Uh, and then, you know, I had a joke uh, that I definitely couldn't tell today, but it, it probably won me the battle. Um, I said, Tom Ballard is gay. Uh, yeah, I know. That means he's taken more shots to the back than Kevin Hart's unarmed cousin. <laughs> Kevin Hart was judging. And so that's why I did that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Kevin Hart just looks at me and starts giving me the we're not worthy sign. Nice, yeah. Uh, like, I couldn't do that. If they show that clip. Right, and you don't mean anything malicious. It's a like, Like you said, it, it was a joke to hit that one judge knowing that that would get that, you know, you were trying yeah. for that effect. So uh, I, I don't, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how shows like Roast Battle survive in this new, uh, I mean, there was that one Roast Battle and I didn't want to talk about the show, but it kind of fits where we're what we're talking about, uh, where this battler had HIV, like he had it, and but you could tell, like, and and the jokes were like, I forget <laughs> that's your wheelhouse, man, because you've been you've been writing Magic Johnson material for years. Oh, yeah, I mean, the jokes, like I forget who he was battling, but you know it was pretty standard gay jokes, and then they would come to me for a comment. And I'd be like, hey, dude, if you win this battle, I'll give you an extra few T-cells. And uh, <laughs> and he loved it. But it was therapy for this guy. Like, you could tell. Like, he's getting hammered for being gay, for having HIV. But he had the biggest smile on his face. And, like, he was accepted in this room of probably, uh, I don't know, 150 people. Right. And Jeff Ross was giving him love. And I, th I think that might have been the night Dave Chappelle was there. And he's like, hey, you got balls, man. And... uh and I was like, I know, Dave, that's the problem. That's how he got what he got. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> and, and but like, it's like little interactions like that. And I'd, I'd look over at him because I never wanted to hurt anyone's feet. Right, right. That's and, not what it's about. And I guarantee you that was that guy's greatest moment in his life uh, of saying, hey, I have HIV and, and being treated like, who cares, bro? This is roast battle. We don't care if you have it or not. And, and right, right. Like, but you know, in this day and age, people, and I don't dude, you got to say that about the comedy store, all walks of life, all classes, creeds, everything has been, can get accepted there. Oh yeah. I mean, we have, uh, and that's why I give a lot of love to Adam. Uh, you get the talent booker. He's passed. Well, obviously, I mean, me and Candace Thompson were the first two people he passed. She's a black female. I'm an old white dude. So, you know, I don't think too many people can complain about that. He, he's passed a lot of minority comics. He's passed transgendered comics. Like, uh, very few clubs uh, that I know of, certainly in L.A. Uh, it wouldn't have happened before. Funny wasn't always funny with the old booker. Sometimes it came down to exactly what we were mentioning earlier. Sometimes it came down to, uh, I think one of our, our famous quotes that we heard him or other people have heard him say is we already have one here. We don't need any more when re referring to Ian Edwards, like we already have Ian, we don't need any more black comedian. Like he had already hit his quota of one. You know what I mean? Yeah. When, when, when let's be real, dude. I mean, everybody at the comedy store is a killer or you wouldn't be there. Oh yeah. And to look at those walls, it's not all white. 
It's everybody. It's Jimmy Walker was the first name to to really make that place. By the way, met him the same day I met Brian E. Thompson. And I might have your uh, kiss of death. You, you're the Grim Reaper of podcasting. I met Jeanette Dubois, got an autograph from her, and about two days later, she passed away. Yeah, she was a great singer. Oh, dude, uh, so nice. She was so sweet. Yeah, she did moving on up. Dude, I was watching uh, an old episode of Good Times. Uh, I think it was like the third season, so 76 or 77. And Philip Michael Thomas. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's a dude, like, and it was weird because he looked totally different. He had like a, almost like an afro, like a, like a jerry curled afro. Right. Uh, like, there's a guy I would love to have on, but I, I guarantee you, I'll look him up. He'll on only want to talk now. music. He probably, he definitely doesn't want to talk paternity. Uh, he's got like 12 <laughs> kids by 11 different women. Uh, there's a guy who been out of the loop for a bit. I'll, I'll guess he has very few um, offers. Media. Oh, like, you know, Brian E. Thompson. Now, here's a working actor of the last 40 years. Yeah. Uh, take a guess because you, you're a social media savant. No, you take Don't judge me on my Twitter and Facebook because when I, uh, when I started doing YouTube, I went with the mentality of I'm just going to focus on one, like uh, – Let's put it this way. Um, somebody pointed out to me one day, they go, are all the people that are joining your Instagram, are they are they going to your YouTube from Instagram or are they going and joining your Instagram from YouTube? And I said, oh, they're obviously finding my YouTube and then going to the others. And he goes, yeah, so why waste the time on the others if if it's not bringing people to you? So I my numbers are all YouTube based, but I do know, you know, Twitter and all that. Are you on Twitter? Well, here's a, a, a Brian Thompson. I just want to like, He's a 40-year working actor. I mean, he, he worked in Terminator uh, to, to today. I yeah. saw him two years ago in like a New York State lottery commercial. Uh, how many, just guess, how many Twitter followers do you think he has? Probably 7,000. Under 1,400. Wow. So that episode, I, I mean, I hope it would do well, but like I've literally have 1,000 times the followers he does. Yeah. So that would be my sales pitch to him. It's like, dude, I've got over 10,000 followers on Twitter. It's not like an insane amount. Right. It's like, that's 10,000. It's worth one afternoon. You know, hey, if he's selling photos like he was doing at that, if he's selling them on his website, that, you know, if he even sells one, it's worth it to him. It's worth the drive over. Well, yeah, it's it's worth your time to do it. You're not wasting your time. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's. So it's a fine line of like the only uh, the only thing I could think of is maybe somebody may not want to talk about themselves. Some people some like like I I recently had um it hasn't aired yet but I had Keith Coogan um on my show from I did a podcast with him. Oh, did you? Yeah, the co-host with like probably seven episodes and then like long story short, uh, you know we did his the guy who was the engineer the like the the controller of the podcast, he would be like, dude, most of the fans are tuning in to hear you. And I'm like, well, he's the only one getting paid. Like, so I was like, and he was very nice, but I just yeah. didn't want to do it with him anymore. Yeah, no, he's a, he was a great dude and everything. And I was talking to him. I said, Hey, you know, I'd love to, uh, 
I'd love to do a vlog with you about your, your grandfather. If you'd be cool with, it. he goes, absolutely dude. He goes, I'll talk about, you know, any, anything except for myself. He goes, I'll talk about movies I've done. Or he goes, I just don't like talking about me. And I was like, that's totally cool. I mean, but he goes, yeah, I'll talk. Cause his, his grandfather was uncle Fester. Yeah. I, I, also the kid from Charlie Chaplin, you know, I mean, he had big was career. Jackie Coogan. Yes. Jackie Coogan. So, I mean, just, it's cool that he's willing to do that. But I mean, some people like that. They're just like, I, I don't want to talk about my career. I, some people are just, uh, what you see on screen is all you need to know about me. But that's like the thing with like some, like I had Bobby Brown on from, uh, the cherry pie video. And, uh, she won star search like nine times. Yeah, of course. The, uh, the spokes model, uh, and you know i got her and i read her book you know it, it was a pretty quick read it was like 200 pages but the print you could drive a truck through the sentences i mean it made sting's book look like war and peace uh, double spaced and everything <laughs> triple spaced pictures on every page uh but you know i read the book out of respect for her she's coming down here right and you might find something in there really good to tap into and you know she brings her 21 year old boyfriend over so i couldn't really say hey how big was tommy lee's hog and like not that i would have said it like that but like she didn't want to talk about it like cherry pie or star search which i which is to get i kind of don't because you're selling you're selling a book and the things that you're most known for are what solves the book whether yeah. you whether you want to be known for that or not you know, you think Roscoe P. Coltrane wanted to be known as Roscoe P. Coltrane when he was actually James Best, one of the premier acting teachers in this town. He was Burt Reynolds acting teacher and most everybody else in that time. But to people that only watch Dukes of Hazzard, they think he's, you know, it's like that's yeah, it's like that. I look at that stuff and I just go. He's known for one thing. He may, you know, it's like you have to just go with what you're known. You know, you got to capitalize on what you're known for sometimes. But like I would try and and like when I have someone who's, you know, known for one thing, like Ralph Macchio, like I, he's been asked about Karate Kid a thousand fucking times. Right. Uh, and so I was like, let's talk about Up the Academy. And I guarantee you he would <laughs> love that. That's his first movie. Or The Outsiders even. Uh, yeah. But I mean, up the Academy. I guarantee you, no one has ever asked him a question about up the Academy. Right. Yeah. Oh, dude, I'm the same. I'm the same way. I I, I want to um I want to ask Charlie Sheen if I can film like I, I want to vlog a day with him, and I, I all I want to talk about is tell me about the crazy baseball card collection you used to have. Talk about um you being a Cincinnati Reds fan, and let's talk about men at work and major league. Just keep it to the stuff that re- that I was really into. That way he's not expecting, you know, a fastball of, so how many women do you think that you've uh, possibly, you know, it's like right. you don't, you're not going down roads that they don't want to go down. That I think that's why people, when I approach them about doing stuff, I'm real specific. And, and I, I always say anything you want to share about your experience and anything you don't want, I'm cool with not including, Right. you know, because I, I made a video with Vicki Hamilton and I asked her about, um, I mentioned an A&R person. She said, I don't want to even want to mention him. I don't want anything about them in the video. And I go, okay, cool. I'll edit that part out. Me asking that question. Was it John Kalodner? No. Oh, really? Oh, okay. John You're Kalodner. pretty close, though. Okay. Well, John Kalodner, for those of you wondering, if you've ever seen the Aerosmith video, dude looks like a lady. He's the legendary A&R guy, but he was the the bride. When he turns around, he's got the full beard and all that My stuff. Cousin it. <laughs> I always used to see him. He must have lived around here at one point. I would see him every day walking. 
And I was trying to ask him questions about Rat, and he kind of gave me a look. He was always nice. <laughs> no, because he uh, he uh, started Portrait Records, and I think. Uh, I want to say 99 and he had uh, Rat did an album with him uh, Cinderella did one that was never released and I think like Damn Yankees and he was trying to bring back that metal but uh, I, when Piercy came on the podcast I remember that now he was like yeah he tried to make us sound like the cars and like that just wasn't he, oh he's trying to kind of what slick updated. or updated or in what um, way well if you look at the and it's just called Rat uh it, it's uh i mean i like some of those like he's trying to commercialize them uh well it was like rat trying to sound like weezer uh, well um like not a uh poppy like in like they already went that direction in uh 88 with the detonator when they <laughs> paid desmond child who was like the gigantic guy who got bon jovi going well dude that's what i was gonna say i mean de- hired desmond child so it's funny you said that because well, i don't think they could afford him that early time. 2000 album that def leppard did with desmond child really brought them back to life because the songs were really good well I mean, that's the guy you know they wasn't i don't know if they used or no maybe that was mutt lang sorry that yeah, might have been I mean, mutt lang desmond child was famous for basically reinventing Aerosmith after the comeback right every every big battle he did stuff with paul too didn't he paul stanley well, he wrote "I Was Made for Loving You," which is probably Kiss's biggest worldwide hit. Yeah, the disco um, hit. Well, that's you're you're right about that because anytime I put that in a video when I see him live, that that song gets me demonetized, so I don't put it in anymore. Uh, yeah, I mean he he's like the he's the guy they would uh, give to like Kelly Clarkson when she won American Idol, and I'm, I'm sure they said just write her hit, right? And Leanne Rhymes. Some people it hit. just flows out of them. Diane Warren, people like yeah. that. He's very. I mean, that's basically the the two preeminent songwriters of the last they're probably 30 years or diane warren and uh, desmond child yeah uh i have desmond child's box set i bet you do so he's great dude it's it's so weird to see the variety of artists oh he's written for everybody i know ricky martin to uh share to kiss aerosmith joan jett he did like all those those that like comeback of get a grip didn't he write most of that aerosmith stuff or uh, or was it even later than that like well, the they had the big hit amazing with, and all that stuff he did yeah he had the big hit with uh or they had the big hit with uh, the run dmc walk this way remake right and then with pump and uh the i forget the, the permanent vacation yeah he which i love that hits. okay i love permanent vacation too Angel both of those are great and, and uh loving an elevator no i think loving an elevator was on pump uh, janey's got a gun he wrote that uh and he has this i guess some people don't like him because he's like if i rework one word of a song i get publishing like i wrote the whole song uh, but that's why that's but if that one word sometimes is the hook or it makes a difference man that's you know so uh, like he'd be a great guest oh big time big time but i don't know like he's another one where it goes back to the theme of he probably has very little social media skills because he's probably like i'm desmond child i'm not gonna right i have 500 Twitter. right i'm your guest you're the one that's responsible for getting the viewers you know yeah so that would be another selfish one where it'd be more for me and like but i would ask him instead of about kiss i mean i might ask him a few questions yeah you definitely would because he wrote basically uh crazy nights uh he wrote like four songs on crazy nights and that was when kiss was trying to sound like bon jovi yeah uh i'd be like hey tell us about this warrior soundtrack because uh he had a song uh 
with Desmond Child and Rouge. Uh, <laughs> and he was on Saturday Night Live. I mean, that he was so big at one point, like he was on SNL. It's the musical guest uh, with his girl band. He had like a well, th- I mean, I mean, sometimes it goes in reverse because yeah, I mean, uh, he probably was making so much money being the songwriter that being the performer didn't matter. Isaac Hayes was originally one of the guys who used to write a lot of the Stax songs before he became a huge performer himself. So, you know, a lot of people. Well, who is it? Um, Ike Turner was the guy who used to go out and find talent for Sun Record. You know, it's like it's it's amazing some of the history that these guys have have had. Desmond Child, by the way, has twelve thousand followers on Twitter. It's a little more than me. It's not like a tremendous amount, but uh, you know, and he's probably based in Nashville. He's known in his world. You know what I mean? Like some people that listen to the radio may not know the name Desmond Child, but people that are in the music industry know that name. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like, if you like, I mean, music fans probably don't know his name, but anyone in the industry is like, let's get him to write a hit. Uh, but that would be another one that would, you know, selfishly is like, oh, you know, 12,000 followers. Your problem is, Earl, you're afraid to ask people. Like, Not you feel, really. I think sometimes you feel like you're putting people out and then you don't ask. Cause like, when we, when we went to Roddy's memorial, Richard Tyson was willing to do. I talked to him. Oh, did you? I was going to say he was willing to do it and everything. And then, like, it seemed like it never came about. So I don't know. Well, he called me like two weeks later and he was like, yeah, man, uh, Tyson here. I'd love to do your podcast. I'll be in LA. And, you know, I said, okay, well, how about this day? And he, he was a little flaky, to be honest with you. But that was crazy experience, dude. Because this was what Roddy died in twenty fifteen. I want to. I want to say it was on my the day after my birthday or the day before July 29th. Yeah, yeah day before my birthday. That's your birthday. Thirtieth. Uh, okay. But um, we we go to the uh, memorial. It's twenty fifteen, and Richard Tyson pulls out a flip phone. That was that was wacky, man. I hadn't even seen one. And that time in a few years. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll probably use this forever. Yeah, some people just don't care. Yeah, didn't. Well, that's somebody who would be a great guest. Kindergarten cop and Buddy Ravel and Three O'Clock High. But yet, if the dude's using a flip phone, I'm guessing the Twitter and Instagram are not exactly popping off the charts. Well, it's like when I asked Ron Jeremy... uh who uh, has got some Me Too stuff going on in his life right now. Uh, it sounds like he's got a few things going on in his life. Isn't he, isn't he fighting for a tree in front of his childhood home or something, too? Well, I think the Me Too stuff's a little more important than that fucking oak tree in, in Poughkeepsie. <laughs> uh, but like, I, 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 this guy's got a 40-year porn star legend. I mean, he's, he's seen the beginning of the porn industry. He's seen it through the AIDS crisis. He's seen... After the AIDS crisis, he's he's one. Of the he's few, been in legitimate movies. Yeah, he's one of the few porn stars to really be mainstream. And and uh, I saw him at the gas station, Shell Oil. On was he awake? Yeah, he was walking around. The, so he's the, usually asleep when I see him. Oh yeah, he used to fall asleep in the back of the constantly, car. Constantly, dude, narcoleptic for sure. And I'm like, hey, dude, would you do my podcast? And he looks at me and goes, "What's a podcast?" I'm like, "I." Yeah, hey, you got it's not gonna work then. Somebody's gonna have to teach him. <laughs> so uh but that like that would be like so interesting to me to just 40 years in the business. Uh and you know, be sad stories, be happy stories. Well, the question is what will he talk about? What's he, you know, is he is he an expose all kind of talker? I mean, you know, you never know what you never know what you'll get out of somebody like that. I mean, I would ask him about how 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 is a porn star me too <laughs> Like 
<laughs> yeah, I mean that, and, and it was porn girls who were like, "This guy's creepy." Like it really? Like, yeah, it wasn't like he went to Bloomingdale's or something and squeezed some salesperson's ass. He basically got me too out of the porn business, which sounds like impossible. Well, you would. I mean, you would think because you would think just about anything goes in that industry, but I mean. So uh, you figure if you don't have to sleep with them to get in it, once you're in it, you'd have to sleep with them. So, well, I know most girls uh, who I know in the porn business, I know a couple, they refuse to work with them. Uh, they're like, no. what was their reason? Just out of just curiosity. Okay. Like, I know one of my friends produced one of his movies. Probably. I just wondered if there was stories that, that, you know, rotate around social circles that they had heard, or if it was just a general, dis- I think you know, he's, just, he's not the cleanest guy. Uh, so I think what my buddy did one of his movies, this is probably 15 years ago. And so he's waiting, you know, in the little green room area and he fell asleep, of course, and he shit his pants. Whoa. So the guy wakes him up. Hey, dude, it's time for your scene. And, you know, the guy clearly knew he shit his pants. And uh, Ron's like, okay, I'm ready. And my buddy was like kind of hinting, hey, uh, might want to go clean up yeah, first. Freshen up. You, wanna, you know, showers are over there. He's like, no, I'm good. Let's go. So, you know. What was he going to do? Not take his pants down or what? Jeez. Like, I, I don't watch porn. Uh, I really don't. Broke too many TVs, What? <laughs> I just, it's not my, I just like, it's not, you know, it's not for me. But some of my friends who are agents and managers of the highest level, obsessed with it. Really? Including one who's huge in the business. Like I, I can't even say who he reps because then it gives it away who he is. Who's he rep? He I can't can't say it. Uh he is obsessed with watching huge black guys fuck white girls. Like if you show him like a white guy fucking uh, a white girl, he like literally can't get an erection. But you give him a Lexington Steel video. Did he tell you this? Or I mean, like, oh yeah, jeez. And he literally can't get it up unless it's like Vince Warrior or Mr. Marcus or Congo. You know all the names. Jack Napier. Uh, oh, was, we met Jack Napier, didn't we? Meet him at, at the, the boxing uh, match. Store boxing. That oh, dude, what a night that was. God, will that ever be seen by the light of day? Uh, I'll guess no. Oh man, that was an all time for people that don't know. Mike Favorman and I forget who the other. It's pretty much just Favorman's gig. Yeah, a Favorman organized for a comedy boxing event, and he got people that didn't like. He, I mean, he had Davy Wester, who had cerebral palsy, fighting. PJ Stansberry, who ever, I never heard a pop bigger than when PJ came out because everybody was hoping to see him go. I, I never knew people disliked one person that much, but then we had Boone fighting Josh Martin and the, Boone's corner. God, uh, yeah. And the poor guy who owned the boxing gym had no clue what he had gotten himself into you got don barris doing the the play by or doing the interviews he's doing the interviews in between the things and you got danish and o'neill and david taylor all doing commentary on the 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 mics i mean i I was just like this if there was ever like something that you filmed for like as an inside joke that was it because if you're not in the comedy store world it couldn't have been as funny to everyone as it was to us but it was like I'll never forget Aligny chain smoking weed all day and drinking diet Coke. Just, yeah, everything you could do. And then he gets to his fight and he just gasses out in like 10 seconds. Well, I was in his corner too. I'm like, dude, you got to breathe, man. And, and then like after seeing him pace back and forth in the parking lot for like two and he was a Marine or something. So he like, he was in shape at one point in his life. 
Like, dude, you can't be drinking Diet Coke in the blazing sun. It was pretty hot that day. It was. It was real hot. And he's like, what do you mean? And he's like, you're smoking cigarettes. You're drinking Diet Coke. It's got caffeine in it. He probably, I'll estimate, drank seven to eight Diet Coke. I think he was just so freaking nervous. I get that. You know what I mean? Like, I think he just was like. He was fighting Abby Robert. She was like this in-shape young Canadian, uh, you know, comic. And I'm like, dude, you're going to get dehydrated. Like, yeah. All caffeine does is take water. Uh, away from you and you piss out all the water yeah uh, it's like no i'll be fine and then like the, one minute in he, he was so gassed and throwing up in the ring he turned his back on abby and abby's just wailing on his kids yeah uh but the, yeah that was a fun but i don't even know if you could do that show today like well i was gonna say we got all this craziness going on and then i see i see you with like a half smirk on your face i walk over i go what the hell are you doing earl and you're like Oh man, one of my heroes is over there and you point over to this. I'd never seen the guy before in my life. It's like this big black dude with dreads and a head to toe white suit. I mean, he just popped out like, I mean, he, he just like, he popped, you know? And I was like, oh, this guy's definitely somebody who is he? And I think you said it was Jack Napier then. I'd never heard the name well, but there was like seven or eight comics. Like, you know, there was like Russell Peters was there. Was right. A couple famous boxers because it was in a boxing gym in Burbank. And, and that was the that was the grand prize, I think, was every winner of each match got to open for Russell Peters, who I think at one point was doing uh, Staple Center. <laughs> you know, oh, he's like, yeah. like New Year's at the Staple Center is what he, you know, one night. So it's like or, or one of those big ones downtown. So, well, I mean, I mean, doing, that's a huge opportunity. I mean, he's so big that doing a comedy club for him on the weekends is like insulting. It's like, no, I'll play the theater. That guy is I mean, he's another one. Talk about uh, all time. Nice people in comedy. Not that he makes a big deal of it, but I've known people that were good friends with him. And I remember one of those friends on his birthday, posting a photo of the new car that Russell bought him for his birthday. I mean, he's that, you know, somebody else said like that they commented that they liked his watch and he just took off this $20,000 watch and just gave it to him. So if you see Russell comment and compliment everything that he has on compliment, his car compliment, his watch, his rings. I mean, I went to his, uh, his wallet yeah, a Fourth of July party at one of his older houses in Malibu, like it's like maybe uh, probably six years ago, and it was so funny. He has so many friends and so many different, like, yeah, crazy walk. Like he's a big Kiss fan too, I think. Yeah. And like you wouldn't think he's, he took me to see Paul Stanley at the House of Blues. He's like, oh, we're with the same agency. I'll take you to. But like his backyard barbecue at Fourth of July was like a prison because it was like. You had all his black friends, rappers, and athletes hanging out on one side. You had all his like uh, Asian friends hanging out in the other, like eastern part of his yard. And then you had all the white guys like me and Jason Rouse. You know, good lord, it literally was like a prison yard. Like, well, just those two names mentioned right there. You and Jason Rouse is not good. Uh, and then my favorite work. Oh god, he, no. He's let, let me guess. He's working the grill. Da- David Taylor's there as well. Uh, I don't think he was. Oh god, too uh, bad the David Taylor barbecues don't happen anymore. Those were legendary. Well, that's the funniest thing about the uh, the boxing thing was the the uh, owner of the gym comes up to me because I think someone it's probably O'Neill or Danish. They did a joke about Boone having AIDS, and he, Boone's just stepping into the ring, and the guy pulls me and says, like, hey, that guy, uh, he doesn't really have AIDS, does he? 
Oh my god, dude! I I can't say for sure. <laughs> I was gonna say your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, hey, man. dude, I was um I was out doing a vlog one day in San Bernardino, going to Randy Rhodes' grave, and uh, film that. Swing by two three blocks away to a Seven Eleven to stop in and get a water. Public bus pulls up and Boone gets off the bus with three bags. I go, you can't escape him. Yeah, Even in the heart of San Bernardino, there he was. Boone, uh, for those of you not who are a little lost in this part of the conversation, he's like a homeless dude who uh, hangs out at the comedy store. and uh, Quasi-comic, quasi-performer. So weird. He's like a, uh, he's an institution at the store, and, which is why the story is what it is. Like Boone, you could see him some nights picking his toes in the corner of the patio uh, flossing his teeth, uh, drunk, dressed up like Tina Turner a couple of times I've seen. Yeah. Any other club in the country would just boot this guy out. But the comedy sort of like, yeah, come on and hang. fondles the employees. Yeah, I mean, he's grabbed my ass more times than I can count and, uh, offers good deals on t-shirts. Yeah, so steals merchandise. He sells them to the comics for like a dollar. I think he sold Tony Hinchcliffe a laptop for $5. Uh, of course, it didn't work, but uh, dude, I, I, I went to Don Barrison. I went to out of the closet one day just shopping and we saw D Boone digging through the dumpster there for stuff. I mean, he, he's but he, he's what makes the comedy store the comedy store. <laughs> right, right. That yeah. the everyone is accepted for your your kind of your oddness, I would say, almost like people see the co the comedy and the craziness. It's like the bar in Star Wars, man. There's literally every freak in the world comes to the store, whether you're a comic. Uh, there's comics who have no chance of getting passed up there. They still go there and have a good time. For all, dude, yeah, Apervaya, Ap you know? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's the crazy guy, Robert William Apervaya, who has closed out the Monday night show for the last 30 years he's wonder what he's doing through all this man yeah he was already walking around with trash bags on his head and stuff but a guy like him could be dead and who would know right well you don't see because he lived i think downtown and he would come up here for the comedy night so you always see the green suit on yeah. monday nights he wears a green suit he Dude, he told me a crazy story one night. Oh, did I'm, he talk to you? He yeah, dude. One night he could be lucid. And one night, um, I, I think I just said hi to him, started talking, and he introduced himself, started talking. He starts telling me about the first time that he performed there. And he tells me, like, like uh, as far as I can remember, it was the Funny Farm. When it first started, it was like he was doing open mics, the Funny Farm. And he said he remembered uh, somebody out in the audience say something to him. And he responded back by singing a song, and it was uh, who it was the members of the band Toto, and he was singing a Toto song, and he ended up becoming friends with Toto that night. He said, I "Now, who would make that up out of you know? This is like I guess God. When was it? Or, or wait, I'm trying to remember when he told me that was, but it was the real the early days, like when Mitzi first." I mean, I think she opened the club up in 73. So, uh, I mean, Toto was, Toto's been around for a long time. Yeah, it seemed like it was right around then. But you can catch it, you know, a couple of times you can catch him. He remembers a lot of that stuff if you if you ask him specific stuff. But he's like another one of the wacky characters of the comedy store where he's, he's clearly lost his mind. But at one point he was like, a, a I guess, a lawyer and... Like he just Sam Kennison would throw shit at him and heckle him, and then 
He yeah. always go to the com or always went to the Tonight Show. Yeah. So Johnny Carson gave him a nickname. He told me that I forget what it was. Doctor something. Lemon Jello, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Doctor Lemon Jello. Yeah, and and anytime he would see me, he would say something to him before the show or whatever. But like any other club would not let this guy in the doors, let alone perform. Uh, but he does the same set every Monday. I mean, he's in the probably 12 years I've known him. He does the same set. Like it's part of the running gag. Rick Rick has a great uh, story. Rick Ingram where he says like he he's watching like Robin perform or Robin is watching Bob Apravaya perform. And he's like, it's like seeing a ghost. Cause he had seen him, you know, 20, 30 years ago doing the same songs and the same jokes and the same, you know, little bits and everything that he does. Cause he sings a lot of his jokes. Yeah. He did. And he changes like he'll do the beach boy song, uh, surf city. Uh, and he'll change the name of the song to toke city and he'll change the lyrics to, you know, involve smoking weed. And like, he's, Hemp, hemp, yeah. hemp, yeah. da da da, yeah. hemp. It's like the Beatles song, right? <laughs> yeah. He has this weird obsession with the Beatles, uh, so he'll do like Beatles and Beach Boys songs to marijuana. Uh, See, I think the Comedy Store missed the boat. They should have been making action figures of all the comedians. People would have absolutely bought crazy stuff like that. Get them to record some of their phrases and things like that. I mean, I know there's a pens guy who's done rock pens. They're like pens, uh, lapel pens of like a Holtzman. And, oh, I have one of Holtzman's yeah. pens. Those are classic. Delia and, and other. Uh, so they're, you know. Has he been on your? He hasn't been on here yet. He said he was. No, 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 no. Holtzman. I've asked him to. He's like, you know, he's a hard guy to make. Oh, dude, with. he's great. But I did do his podcast, the Dead Air podcast. Uh, <laughs> three weeks hey, ago. Hey, Lois. Lois is. Uh, as you can tell Lois is uh, David Arquette's at the door. Out. Um, so, well, Jordan, where can people find you on social media? Uh, I prefer YouTube. Go to YouTube, Days, D A Z E, with Jordan the Lion, just like Michael Jordan. And um, that's the best way to contact me. Comment on a video. I respond to the comments and things like that. But uh, subscribe. Yeah, subscribe. I have currently 137,000 subscribers. So, my goal was a hundred when I started thinking that would never happen. So now life was but a dream for me. You know, I just feel like. Cause isn't it after uh, 10,000 subscribers, like you get to use the YouTube space if you want. Yeah, I think it, well, it used to be even, yeah, I think it is 10,000. Um, I've never done it because I, like the way I film my, well, you saw it. We filmed one today about Lemmy and, um, I, I just like to do it with me and a camera. I, I was um, a huge fan of Huel Hauser and a f huge fan of Anthony Bourdain. And I really like just that one man out doing it. You know, even if there's someone filming you, I just film myself and I, I just kind of do it that way. I just try and make it as fun and as informative. And if you want to watch it, you got to see my ugly face in the video or else, you know. But please watch because like there's something for everyone. Like there's the UWF episode. There's the. The Wonderland Eddie Nash episode. There's uh, 
I've been it on John Wayne's boat, the Hornblower Cruise Company that owns the boat that John Wayne lived on for 17 years came and gave me literally they showed me the boat and then said, "We're going to step off now and you have the boat for the next hour, film it however you want and let me go to the engine room, let me do everything." I've been all over the world. I mean, pretty much every famous place that, you know, that you can think of in Europe, I've probably been there. So, and then Kiss let me go and Joined them for a bunch of dates on their tour this year, and I got to meet Lee Kerslake, who played on Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, Ozzy and Uriah Heep, and it was great because I got to see him tell a cool story about how he remembers Kiss opening for Uriah Heep, and he said back in those days, if you if you used pyro, you had to ask the band that you opened for if they would allow you to do it because you might. You know, they might say, well, no, we don't want you to blow us off the stage. So he goes, I remember them telling us how great their pyro was and everything. And he goes, I just remember saying, fuck, if it's that good, I want, I want, I got to see this for myself. He goes, after Kiss performed and all that pyro went off, he goes, we didn't even want to take the stage. It was that good. And as he's telling that story to us, it's after the show, Paul Stanley comes out and puts his arms around Lee and takes photos and, and Lee's telling us, he goes, you know, I was supposed to, I was supposed to be dead already. And all I wanted was, you know, my, my records from Ozzy. And I go, I knew that's where I knew this guy. He, he was famous cause he, Ozzy owed him like all these record, all these records that he had played on. Sure of that. And, uh, and he goes, I got all the records. Then he made a miraculous recovery at the age of 80. He made a solo record and his guitar player was with him. He's in a, Lee's in a wheelchair. He goes, yeah, I finally got to make a solo record at 80. And then I just found out two weeks ago that I have terminal like a ter- another terminal disease. So he's probably not going to make it, but he couldn't have been happier. He was right. like, you know, just like to him, life was great, you know? And he was for us, it was like, we had to go to London O2 to see this moment, but it was like crazy seeing him start singing Uriah heap song. And then Eric singer joins in singing it with him. And I got it all on video, you know? And then I got Sophie, um, Sophie Simmons, who i had had a big crush on, saw her walking by, asked her if I could interview her. She came over, talked about how she's writing songs and all this and that. But I was like, dude, it was a pretty great night. Like, you know, and it was all thanks to Eric Singer. Eric had passed off. Um, he watches my channel. He had asked me to send him my Auschwitz video and I sent him. And then about a half an hour later, he said, Gene said, you can come on tour with us. He approved it. If you want to do some shows, we have some ideas for you. And Next thing I knew, I was meeting Paul's guitar tech and, <laughs> you know, going to going to meet Vinny Gonzalez, the biggest Kiss fan in the world in Brooklyn. And I've seen him, you know, six times on this tour. It's been awesome. But yeah, I mean, all from this channel, just, you know, all from something I started on my phone because uh, a casting director said, hey, you're really likable. I don't know why your agent never sends you in here. You should just start something on your own and see what happens. Right. And that's where it all came from yeah i mean you've got stuff on like raising arizona where that was uh filmed and uh the brady bunch renovation uh, gary shandling i mean it's something for everyone is what i'm trying to say dude so. w- w- i i had surgery on my hand and I, I mentioned earlier there was a friend of mine who passed away lenard he just texted me at, at that point and said hey i know you can't drive because you had surgery my my fiance and i and i were going to go out and check out tina turner's old house do you want to go i said sure it's my biggest video to date it's a million and a half views ike and tina's house it was the house used in what's love got to do with it 
And when we got there, they were starting to renovate it. The bank owned it. They were going to renovate it. The entire house was exactly the way it was when they lived there. Same wallpaper, everything from when they lived there. And then the guys that are doing the renovation said, hey, there's some stuff in the garage. As long as you don't go past the cars, you can have any of it. It was all the stuff from Ike and Tina's review fan club. They used to run the fan club out of there. So it's press kits. Oh. I found, I found checks signed out to band member, the bass player of Ike and Tina review, Sam Rhodes, a check signed by um, Tina's sister. And it's just like, and they said, yeah, you can have all of it. I, I brought home like Ike's license plate from 1954 because oh, sure. they said, Hey, we're literally going to throw it away. So just crazy things like that. I filmed so many crazy things. You wouldn't believe it. So check it out. It's well worth uh, the... And it's uh, free. Yeah, it's free. I mean, that's the great thing about YouTube is they get paid based on, as you know now, the views. And so it's it's free content. And it's a lot of work, too. To You know, even like the, what we did today was driving to Lemmy's house. And, you know, you got to make sure you're not going to get a parking ticket. You got to like look out for the cops and shit. And then we go to the Rainbow. You got to make sure you get a parking space. And... You gotta, and especially now with quarantine, you gotta like I got. You gotta put your mask on. Yeah, yeah. I like I. They asked me to leave the rainbow because it was like, oh, you don't have a mask on. So you know, it's a lot of work. And, and then they did have a mask on Lemmy, and I said, hey, is there any chance I can get? I can pull the mask down. And she's like, well, I, I can pull it down. Like they don't even want you to touch right. stuff, you know. So it's, I mean, that's the world we're living in to do. So it's a lot of fucking work, Jordan. And does. and I don't take days off. I've never. You know, when I did it seven days a week, I did it up until 1200 videos. And then I announced, I said, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to do every day anymore because I found out YouTube actually was kind of penalizing you for uploading every day. So I, I cut back to four days a week and my views and my subscribers went through the roof. You got to leave them wanting more. Yeah, absolutely. So I do four days a week. I upload Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday now. Are you going to put up that video we did? Me, Don, Matt, Edgar. Uh, it's on another. It's on my other YouTube. You should pump that out. <laughs> what was it called? Daddy's World? Uh, Dad's Home. But it it is it is a it is out there. That's a funny one. If dad's home uh, when we painted Earl up like the Ultimate, Ultimate Warrior. Warrior. You were Ric Flair, and Don Barris was the head of the Matt Edgar Wrestling Palace, and uh, and uh, Tebow Tebo was the Roddy Piper. Yeah, if you're a comedy store fan, you'll see some comedy store favorites in there. Yeah. Uh, do you want people to hit you up on Twitter, or Instagram, or just do YouTube? I mean, that's really the only place that I respond or. Uh, or check or anything. I just, like I said, I just, I know that's where people find me and they go find all the other stuff from there. So I just respond on there. All right. So please check out Jordan days. That's D A Z E. Not D. Uh, do you want to plug the adult company? Or- <laughs> oh yeah. I got a, uh, Earl and I were guests on Stephanie Dika coffee talk with Adika, and he had Dale, the demon Torborg, the WCW wrestler and Dale works with a company that makes action figures. And so he contacted me and said, Hey, we will, we'll make action figures of you. So I sent him a photo and they sent me a action figure of me wearing a jean costume style from kiss. And the other one is me as a wrestler with an internet champ belt. And what's the name of the guy? Like the company is called my face on a figure.com. And they're really cool. I mean, and this is one of the 
And the packaging is, you can actually open the packaging and close it. It's not like once you open it, you're screwed. It's meant to be open, taken out, put back if you want. They really did a great job. I mean, they, they offered to do it for me for free. And I said, can I vlog it? And they said, anything you want, we just don't want to be in the video. So I'm, uh, I'm really happy with it. And I made a full video that'll be out in like a week and a half. Yeah. If you're a comic or any type of performer, like I can imagine you could sell these things. Like, I mean, it probably have to be a pretty high price point because it's uh, what'd you say it's like 120 dollars for, for a dual pack but i think a single one's like 80 bucks something like that yeah, really like they look like the pro wrestling dolls we all grew up with oh big time and, and they have about 20 different belts that you can choose from every you know one from every continent one from you know if you're an actor whatever they just have all kinds of different stuff if you want to go with the wrestler they even make them talking you can get them as big as i think 12 inches and as small as five inches yeah they're just so various cool. sizes but It'd yeah a great birthday gift like if you're if you're a girl and if you're listening to this you know, I think well, I have some female fans it would be good like if you had a boyfriend or fiance a husband or well dude I, that's what i was gonna say they actually when you pick out the body you can do a tuxedo and wedding gown and they'll package it like a for like a wedding you know if you want something like that at your wedding yeah. you can actually do that i think i'm gonna pick me up one of these i'm gonna ask to be uh dressed as kamala so, <laughs> I don't know if they're gonna do that for me well the funny thing is they do ask you um they do ask you like black yeah black or white so i i guess you could probably send in your head with with his body if you could do they could if you could get one, them to construct a body they could do one regular like like maybe me as kimchi the manager yeah and then kamala you know a little bit more of a buffoonish person. i gotta find out where kamala lives and go visit him while we can yeah and please uh by the speaking of kamala go to uh com. the guy literally has no fucking legs i just bought an autographed picture for 20 bucks it's not bad and a uh uh, it's, it's like a small Kamala doll. I think they call it a micro brawler. That's uh, uh, and he's like, painting. You can buy his paintings, correct? Yeah, you can buy his paintings. He does them. Uh, this is no scam. He doesn't have someone do them, and then he takes a picture with a painting like he did. It. You want to call anybody out for that? Oh no, I, but you know there are some. Oh, big time, big uh, time. Know, uh, people who like well-known uh, people. You know, like uh, musicians. You buy an autograph CD. They just have their manager sign it and sign it. Uh, Kamala hand paints these things and they're pretty good quality i mean i don't know what his art background is but it's it's not horrible uh and the painting is of his uh that african headdress he used to wear to the ring like the mask the type mask. thing yeah and he'll sign it and i'm gonna it's 150 bucks it ain't cheap but like it is art it's art so uh help out kamala he gets 100 percent of the uh proceeds obviously and uh, if you go on and I don't get a dollar from doing this. This shows you what a bad businessman I am. But I want Kamala to live out his life. He's 70 years old now. If you go on ProWrestlingTees.com, yes, you can buy an inappropriate Earl podcast t-shirt. It's 20 bucks. I don't want you to buy one. Uh, it's pink. The worst marketing of all time. It's a nice shirt, though. It is pink. My buddy Andrew Stokin did the artwork. Uh Kamala has a storefront on ProWrestlingTees.com. There's like 20 different shirts. I had to ask my black friend, Jay, can I wear any of these shirts? Because I had a bad experience with, uh, I bought, they have a really funny Kamala shirt based off of the Lion King. And it's basically like the evolutionary chart of like, 
a human, but they kind of made Kamala look like a like like an animal. Uh, so I I put the shirt on when I had Jay Washington on my podcast, and he just looks at me and goes, "Dude, you can't wear that." So I uh, reached out to Jay. I said, "Can I wear this one?" And it's just a picture of Kamala's head with the makeup. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I've got that coming from pro wrestling tees. If you point of that is. Kamala gets 100% of the profits. Yeah, help him. And right now, it's not like he can do any attending local events or anything like that. If that's how he makes his money, it's really probably all directly through internet sales. And I'll guess his immune system in all seriousness probably isn't the best. It's 70, uh, diabetic, gout. So uh, don't buy anything from me if you don't want to. Buy something for Kamala. If you're a wrestling fan, it's kind of cool. Like the autograph pictures, it's a nice picture. The the micro brawler, it's just a silly toy for 24 bucks, but he gets all of that. Uh, so, you know, in this day and age, you know, Black Lives Matter and all that, well, Kamala's, you can't get any blacker, so help him out. Uh, Jordan, thank you very much for doing this. Right. We could do, We could go another two hours. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do it again anytime, man. Oh, yeah, well, I'm I got to keep my record. Yeah, yeah, now you're going <laughs> to be the, the leader. Uh, or at least tied, who knows? Let's see, I mean... I keep waiting for that Vinnie Vincent podcast that well, I keep waiting. Another, uh, that's one where you would be better suited for me than you go find him. And I think he lives in Nashville or she, I think she, uh, I think he's. Yeah. It seemed like there was now. something going on, uh, you know, uh, where that would be an interesting vlog, but I know he tries to charge up the ass for my, like I was told he'll do a phone interview with me for 20 grand. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> Are you, yeah, I, I heard he was trying to sell guitars for stuff like that, and I'm like, he was trying to sell these pink neon Jackson guitars, which are nice guitars. for like ten grand or something, yeah, or? Like ten grand at Nam, and it's like you're talking, you can get a Kramer, Eddie Van Halen, you know, signature model for like I don't know three grand or whatever. I mean, that's a lot of money. It's like no one's gonna buy a Vinnie Vincent guitar for ten grand in 2020. It's just not happening. Yeah, he thinks that he thinks that there is a Kiss fan out there that wants that and he and he might be right but kiss fans for the most part i think have a general dollar amount that they stay within it seems like to me like you don't you don't see a lot of like kiss selling things that are paul stanley's guitar for ten thousand dollars unless you saw him play it live or something they just don't you know that's not their market so yeah, I mean, I they'll probably hold on to that for a while. I don't even think Vinny Gonzalez, who's like the biggest kiss, he makes me look like I hate kiss. Uh, I don't even think he would buy that. Uh, but it, so, you know, uh, but that might be one where uh, Eric Singer could help you out because it is a fascinating. His story is really unbelievable. Uh, he is. I just sounds like nobody wants to deal with him anymore because yeah. he's he's so difficult. You know, I think Carmine was supposed to be part of that. Wasn't Vinny supposed to do a reunion or like a show or something that even got canceled? He was supposed to do a reunion, I think, a year ago that I was going to go to. It was in Nashville. It was supposed to be Carmine a piece on drums. I'm not sure on bass. And Robert Fleischman, uh, the right singer. from Journey, right? And, yeah, he got fucked in Journey. Uh, he he basically sang on the demos. And then they were like, uh, we're going to go Steve Perry, which I, it probably was the right decision. But it was just like, thanks for playing. <laughs> Yeah, but it's like Larry Wilcox from Chips. A lot of people don't know this, but he was basically told he was going to be Sonny Crockett, Miami Vice, and they would have him test with other tubs. I mean, it was like uh, all these tubs were not 
doing screen tests with any other Crockett's. It was Larry, and then at the last second, they said, "Thanks for training everyone. Thanks for doing fight scenes with this tub, but we're gonna go with Don Johnson." Wow. So you know, it's it's a tough fucking business, but yeah, they do that sometimes while they're negotiating their star. Yeah. But Vinny was supposed to, Robert Fleischman was supposed to sing on this like reunion uh, concert or whatever, and then Vinny, I guess, promised him all these things: your name will be on the flyer here, and. And he sees the flyer, and his name is literally so small, it's like the Surgeon General's warning. Uh, and Vinny's, of course, is like gigantic. It like, yeah. wasn't the arrangement, and, and Robert Fleischer, is, I don't know what he does. He, he, I think he puts out like Christian uh, contemporary albums. Okay. I bought one. It was like pretty good. Uh, but he, he bailed, and then Carmen, I think he bailed, and then... Uh, you know, it's like weird. He Vinny did. Uh, I did you watch any of that footage of when Vinny has been seen recently? I he just did. he just doesn't seem to have the chops. I think that's really Which what it came crazy. down to. He just his hands just don't look like he's not as polished as he used to sound. You know what I mean? If that sounds right. Oh, it does. Very I sloppy. Mean, he was on Van Halen's level in terms of technical playing, and Ingve Malmsteen and Jakey e. Lee and uh, Warren D. Martini, and and he was of that era he was among the better ones if not i mean i guess van halen was the best one but he was up there but uh they showed a clip of him playing lick it up with a tribute band from last year and he was so uncomfortable and, and so like out of practice that he had the, the fake Vinny play the lead like and he was just doing the rhythm part wow. and he was barely getting through that so it's kind of sad but uh, yeah it seems like he just hasn't been playing for years and now he's trying to but it, he's it, hurting for money, I'm sure. Well, he should be a Netflix documentary because his first wife was a prostitute in Connecticut. She got butchered like she was cut into pieces. Wow. So you've got that. Uh, you've got uh, the police storming his compound one night, and he's got all these dead dogs in Tupperware containers. Right. Uh, God, I remember hearing about that. And it's just his music history where he started out writing jingles for Happy Days. Yeah. Uh, he was in Dan Hartman's uh, band. Dan Hartman's the guy who sang um, I Can Dream About You. Yeah. Um, and G.E. Smith from the SNL band was in, in Hall & Oates was in that same band. So he's like, and of course his Odyssey and Kiss of being kicked out three times in like a year and a half and then getting the Vinnie Vincent invasion and then getting kicked out of that band. And it's like, that's yeah. impossible. Well, you know, wait, wasn't, what didn't they become Slaughter? Yeah, basically the second singer uh was mark slaughter uh he's supposed to be one of the nicest people oh, in the world dude he but, would be somebody that you should you oh, might be able to get oh, i was gonna say he might be somebody you could probably get a few Vinny stories out of because and when i did now i did a podcast expo two years ago in 2018 in nashville and i and, and it was uh, a lot of music podcasts kiss related podcasts and i was told that Mark Slaughter was coming to the comedy show that night. This is me, my friend Courtney, and uh, Craig Gass. Uh, oh, nice, uh, nice. So I was told, hey, if the Gene impersonator is yeah, kind of as what he's known. But I was told, hey, if, if you have a Vinnie Vincent invasion shirt, bring it with you. I'm like, why? Well, Mark Slaughter's going to come to your comedy show. So I walk out on stage. With <laughs> if if on. you have one, Shit. which one? Well, I <laughs> Amateurs. Have one. I have two. I have one bootleg and I have one OG. I was going to say, you have at least more than one. I know that. But I could probably sell for like 500 bucks on eBay. Like th those vintage shirts. Like I have a vintage 
Hot in the Shade shirt, which is Kiss's tour from 91. I have two of them because I, I, I try and buy one shirt from every concert I've ever been to. Uh, and the white one I have uh, is on sale. Right, I mean, there's one like it on sale on eBay for $550. Yeah, I believe it's, it. It's a, you know, I mean, the older, the more rare, the better, you know. Well, to put it into perspective, Chandler's 27. This shirt's 29. Hello. That's for you, Danish and O'Neill freakers. Which I am a big part of. I I love when you're on there, man. I Hey, can I make a request, Earl? Sure. Well, can- you make the request while I get the package that's at my door. Okay. My request is John Little. I think John Little would be an amazing guest. Earl is now out retrieving a package. I'm sure it's a toy. There was no package uh, or supplements. I ordered some shoes from Adidas because uh, I've, I've been going on. Uh, cl- sometimes me and Chandler were going hikes on the weekends like Malibu or whatever. And I've slipped several times in my James Harden Adidas shoes. Oh, dude, you know what you got to get? I got hiking shoes. Okay, well, what I bought was Under Armour makes some hiking shoes that look like sneakers, and they the tread is made out of Mida, or uh, out of uh, Meineke tires or whatever. Oh, okay. So good, dude, because I, I used to always do Griffith Park, and you slip and slide up and down because of how much dirt there is. Haven't slipped once with them, and they feel like they feel like basketball shoes. By the way, Slip and Slide reminds me of the rat song, Dance, Dance, Dance. And I was watching Miami Vice the other night, speaking of Raising Arizona, and it was probably my favorite episode. It was Down for the Count. And now this is when John Deal, who played Detective Larry Zito, uh, <laughs> he wanted to leave the show, which is crazy to me that in Miami Vice's prime, you would want to leave the show. But in some ways, I respect it. You guys just like, I don't want to live. Parnell did it on Bonanza. Everybody has their own thing, you know? But, I mean, Miami Vice was gigantic season three. Like, I, I'm blown away that he's like, I just don't want to do it. I want to be in movies and shit. And so he, had, he, he was a big boxing guy. So, and they did a two-parter for him where he gets killed at the end of at the first part. And then and Tex Cobb is in it. Uh, the rat song dance 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 is in it and a uh, famous boxer mark breeland plays like the uh the body obviously they need someone who could box uh, so uh, uh that's because uh, did you do anything with tex cobb and you're raising arizona uh well box? i mentioned it i mean i couldn't find him but i i did show where that last scene is where he he and nicholas cage are having the big fight and everything with the baby and all that. So I showed that it didn't dawn on me till I was watching it recently that Tex Cobb was the guy in prison in, uh, Ace Ventura. Yeah. I mean, he was, a very, I totally forgot that, you know, as soon as I saw his face, I was like, Oh God, Ace Ventura. He's a steadily uh, working actor ever since Larry Holmes beat his ass. And he was laughing at Larry Holmes the whole time. Like hit me again. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going down. And uh, he used to fight at the country club a lot as a kickboxer. Oh, really? He was a world champion uh, level kickboxer. I don't know if he was ever the heavyweight champ. There was a guy by the name of John Jackson who was like the Mike Tyson of kickboxing. Not Frank Dukes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but Tex Cobb would be another guest. That Dude, would get, like, that would be a great one. Probably has zero social media. Uh, I'm just assuming he's got to be 70 now. Yeah, I sent you. I sent you a picture. I didn't even recognize him now. Yeah. Well, he uh, he's if you look up Larry Holmes roast, uh, Tex Cobb is like 
Wow. He it's one of the best roast performances I've ever seen. I mean, he drops an N bomb hard. Uh in like the crowd. It was pretty much a black crowd, and Tex Cobb just didn't care. He's like, Man, I'm in a room with a bunch of and I'm like, Oh my god, and Larry Holmes is laughing. So I was like, All right, well. Good luck doing that. Yeah, joke, yeah, different times, you know. So, uh, well, Jordan, this was awesome. We're at the two-hour mark. Right on. That's what you like. Well, I like. You know, it's weird. You know, I go until it gets boring, and and uh, or I want them to want more. Like we could do another two hours easy. Yeah, yeah we'll do it. Yeah, anytime, man. But uh, thank you very much for coming. Uh, follow them on uh, YouTube. You know where, and I'll list the links in the. Uh, you know the description er, earl of maniacs help me out here i've been trying to tell earl since i started that he should have a youtube channel where he goes live and lets you guys ask him questions and just talk live streaming i think earl would be incredible at it if you think that's a good idea tweet at earl and let him know he should be on the youtube universe well the fans have spoken and they want me to be on spotify i think everyone sees oh my god you're visual though earl like you're you're watching you say what you say is just as funny as hearing it you know and i think that's one of those things that i always you know i always recognize that from the moment i went to the comedy store is certain people are just a character in to themselves and you are one of those so you should definitely be on camera as often as you can for your fans Oh, I agree. I'm just, and I'm not trying to play dumb, like, so I can get people to do it for me. I mean, like you can I, do it right off your phone. You like, know? I had one fan be like, dude, uh, I, I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm in the radio business. I'm a big fan from day one. Uh, I can get you on Spotify tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, I just don't, I, I just don't know how to do it, to be honest with yeah. you. And I mean, I obviously the goal now is to. Because uh, without live, you can't perform live. And or who knows in the future if this is going to ramp back up and we're not going to be you got to start thinking about like not going crazy and still being able to entertain people, you know, because I know you a biggest part of your life is getting that reaction out of the people when you perform on stage and it's got to be driving you nuts without getting any any response at all right now. Well, I have to uh, I think that my shows in Edmonton next month are still a go uh, January or not January. July 16th through the 19th, I'll be at the comic strip. Really my first time headlining anywhere. Nice, uh, dude. Well, dude, I haven't done comedy in like three months. I, well. I'm going to do an hour. I, <laughs> you better start telling stories. It'll be a real rough hour. Sorry, Tammy and Rick. Uh, <laughs> they'll, but, for, they'll forgive it. But I might have to change. Like, you know, obviously from day one, I've sat in my captain's chair. I have the guests sit where you are. You know, I might invest into a camera. Like, I might sit where I'm sitting now, which for those of you who've never seen my house, I, I've got uh, my couch, the world-famous inappropriate Earl couch. I could probably make some money selling this to a podcast fan, but I don't want to be that guy <laughs> who's, like, trying to rip off his fans. Uh, am, I, am I sitting where the great Virgil once sat? <laughs> sitting where Virgil at. Uh, you're about one foot from the only time I had anal sex, uh, right to the left. And, right, uh, nice. Oh, On that pillow? uh basically and uh so i'm sitting behind my control, who was the guy i guess my control desk area so i might put a camera here and uh, maybe have a camera there but then i'm clueless as to how, like uh how do i stream yard it you know how stefan was doing it where you could just send people a link and they're they're punched in and you're you're basically in two boxes and people can see both of you yeah because i still want the, to uh, that would upload. definitely help you get people that aren't in la you know on there when well, they can you know like i have my friend daniel amesbury 
uh, who's a hockey tough guy. He's, he's had a great career as a, a goon. He messaged me last night on Twitter. He's like, dude, can you do a Zoom or YouTube? And I'm like, well, because he's in, I think, Florida. Uh, I'm like, well, dude, here's the problem. I want to be able to upload the audio to uh, I, Apple Podcasts, too, so you know people can hear it. And uh, so I'm just trying to figure out the logistics. That's not it. really a problem, Earl. Honestly, there there's an app that I can I can give you for free. That if you have a video on YouTube, you can you can rip the MP4 right off there. See, that's what you, so I don't want to bore you guys with it, but this is like the the, the goal for the podcast. Is <laughs> Look, I, I'm technically ignorant too when it comes to doing all this. That's why I told you when I started, I um I did on my phone with my camera phone and a free downloaded app that I taught myself. So it's, uh, you got to start at the ground up, but it's very easy to do. You know, I I know I'm definitely, you know, obviously, and you got Chandler, she's with it. You know, she she knows what's going on. Yeah. I see how good, you know, like Theo Vons looks. Dude, Theo Vons is huge numbers. You know, there's no, no reason you couldn't be the same. I I agree, but now I got to step it up. So uh, I did. I did enjoy your Tom and Christina when you when you said you know who you booked. <laughs> you, know, yeah, you know, you want me to come in and talk about wrestling, but dude, that's like, and it's also doing other high level podcasts like that. Like yeah. I got probably it's not going to seem like a lot, but probably two hundred followers from that podcast on Instagram. I'm shocked Rogan hasn't had you on because I know he likes you. Well, He's he mentioned had, there, you know. It's funny. I went on uh, Neil Brennan's brother's podcast uh, yesterday, Kevin Brennan. Okay, right. He's a bit of a rogue wild A bit? Yeah. Oh, uh, dude, he trashes his brother constantly. Well, I'm often compared to him. I'm like, you're like a West Coast Kevin Brennan. And I'm like, <laughs> Kevin Brennan, who's like, yeah, my brother rips off all of his material off other people. And you're like, yeah, it's probably not going to go over well at the reunion. I mean, I don't really know the deal between those two. I mean, we, we got into a... a because I had never met Kevin before, so yesterday was my first time, like, interacting with him. And, right. Uh, you know, I actually mentioned his brother. I'm like, you know, my jokes are like Kiss. You know, I, I they're simple jokes. They're not very, you know, I, I you got to see me do the jokes live, and you go, okay, I get Earl. Whereas, like, your brother is, like, such an amazing joke structure writer, and then that set him off. I think he thought I was trying to set him up for, like, zing his brother, but, like, Neil's always been nice to me. So, like, I was just saying, oh, I wish I could write jokes like your brother who structures them like a song. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I still to this day don't really know the deal between those two. And I almost don't want to know. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Neil Brennan, like when I was doing auditions, didn't know it, but he was a cast. I mean, he was like directing a lot of those sports like sprite commercials and stuff like that so i remember going in for like a very big audition that i was like nervous for walking in and he was the guy who was telling me what he wanted and i was like oh wow i didn't realize he was that i mean so sometimes you know don't talk smack about a comic if you're an actor because you never know that comic might secretly be the voice of a commercial or you know, directing the commercials that you're watching that can stop you from getting work. Oh yeah. You, you should be nice to everyone. But like I had a kill Tony comic once this fucking bloated slob who just gets hammered every night. He's there. He kind of goes out to me. Same when you've always hated. Oh yeah. He's just an awful. Person. Okay. I know who you're I talking Tony. about Tony. Yeah. Yeah. Tony's great. great. And like kill Tony is like, you talk about taking a podcast to 
when it was like fucking six people in the belly room. You know what's great about him? His He's always been overly confident. And I remember when, before he had a podcast, I remember going, hey, Tony, you're like the only one that doesn't have a podcast. What are you going to do? And he, and he smiles and he goes, don't worry. I'm working on it. And when, yeah. and when I start it, it's going to be different than anything anybody else is doing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, point proven. So uh, swear to God, that's what he said. And I was like, hey, boy, <laughs> but this guy is like, I don't think you're that funny, but you're a cool dude. I'm like, oh, I didn't really ask you your opinion on my comedy. And then like two days later, I think someone told him, Hey, you know, he's a voiceover. Uh, he's like a, he's on a popular adult swim cartoon. And then he was like, Hey man, I don't think you're that funny still, but I'd love to get on your cartoon. It's like, do you think I'm going to get you on a cartoon now that you said I'm not funny? Like, yeah. Like, who are you? You're like an open micer who can barely do one minute of comedy. Uh, Dude, I, I, you know, I should be nice to everyone. The, the reason I tell you to get on YouTube Earl is mainly a selfish thing because I know how happy I am that I don't have to audition or go, you know, do anything work related that I don't want to do. And I would love to see you get to that point because you have the ability and the, the personality for it. It's literally just the technology I think that's been standing in your way, but what's well, just, uh, like I've reached out to red band and Ari man. And so I'm like, Hey, I'll pay you guys to set me up with an audio system. And they've all, yeah, we'll do it for free. I'm like, no, I'll pay. And so it's just trying to figure out, uh, until I sell the Jersey collection upstairs, which I've had two auction houses kind of fighting over it. Uh, but you know, that's, that's another podcast. Are you keeping the shoes or those going too? shoes? I mean, I'm going to, that room will be a podcast only room so I can kind of compete with the Theo's and the Joe's and not compete. Like, I know it's a like, cliche, but dude, it doesn't always come down to the room. It really comes down to just the content, you know, but I don't, I agree, but I don't want to turn my living room right now into a studio. Yeah. Like with cameras. Well, there. you can easily do green screen and punch in whatever behind you. If you wanted to do something like that or, you know, whatever. But I kind of like the vibe of this. Like, I would love to have a, I like, I have a rat uh, banner that I bought on eBay years ago. I would love to, like, hang that in, in back of me and maybe, you know, I'd love to have a, like, I like Tom and Christina's setup where I love that desk where I yeah. have, like, some Kamala dolls and the Robocop thing I have. Uh, it's just up there, I think I could really have what I wanted. And, and I think when you would tune in to, what I it looks it'll look more professional like, as to what you want not yeah not even professional but more like okay this is Earl's podcast we can tell there's a Kamala doll yeah yeah jellies like if I had that oil painting of the jellies hanging behind me and then you know my Buster Douglas glove in front of the desk and and then a guest you know I just have to figure it out so good things coming guys after this pandemic is over and support uh, Earl Earl of Maniacs, get vocal. Yeah, I mean that's, but that's, but don't like tweet out at Rogan. Hey, come on the pod. Like that hurts more than it helps. Like you know, he asked me once in the kitchen. He's like, "It's time you come on the pod." And I'm like, "Oh my god!" And I told him, "Well, it's because you're one of the only people that's not dropping hints constantly that you want to you you want to be on there." You know, but so I think he forgot. And it's like, I know just through, I would have thought with it, what's going on now, you guys would be the kind of people he'd be hitting up. He's like, who, who needs some exposure? Who's around? Who's not working? Who's not doing anything? You know? I mean, I think it'll happen eventually, but it's like, you, I just, I, I followed through a little bit, but then I could tell when we talked a little bit about it, he kind of forgot and I get it. He's got a lot of things on his mind, but then I think some fans <laughs> about a hundred like, million of them now. <laughs> and that's not even counting what he makes in comedy or yeah, dude. He's like, I mean he's doing good. Yeah, 
But uh, and, and he gets the notoriety of you know somebody always has to be the first to do that. You know when Howard Stern did the serious or whatever, somebody always has to be the one to take the step and gets the credit. Why not him? Yeah. So uh, you know, I, I mean, it definitely can help me. Like, you, I mean, Jesus Trejo went on the like a week ago and he had like I think like three thousand followers, and then the next day he had like forty. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, like that's what I was saying about Tom and Christina. Is like I was literally on a five minute segment. I know. Uh, I was. I had to fast forward through a lot of stuff to get to it. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't even on the whole podcast. Looking your best as usual. Yeah, I, you did. You showed everything show. but your belly button in there. And uh, but just being on that show for five fucking minutes, I got like two hundred followers. Which when you only have like ten thousand, that's like a big. Jump. Yeah, it is five percent or whatever that is. So uh, you know, hopefully bigger and better things because I'd love to have this podcast up and running for the hockey playoffs where I can. Obviously, you can't show you know there's copyrights to showing hockey games right i can maybe do commentary on the first period or whatever yeah absolutely uh, i'm trying to make it better for you guys so i can tour more and because theo kills at touring uh so uh trying to you know i want to hit the road a little more but i want every venue to be packed and i think podcasts are a way to pack venues definitely yeah like he sells out everything. his is also visual though keep that in mind no, he's 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 hitting the audio and the you know it's like he's he's really spanning across so don't don't shortchange yourself you know i, know. I just you know video is the last thing i've been lagging on this podcast so uh you spend all that time working on that body and you yeah. don't even show it to anyone but i mean if you look at if i would have had video from day one uh, how, how many hits the roddy piper episode would have got that's what i'm saying i mean i'm just yeah. being in that world i see you know i i filmed notre dame and it took a year and a half and then it all of a sudden it, it starts burning and people start watching that video because yeah. now they want to see everything that was inside that they're not going to get to see anymore. You just never know when, when it'll hit. So, yeah, I mean, how many when I had Theo Fleury, the hockey player on and he had like a Jerry Sandusky type situation in junior hockey and he was nice enough to come on for like 20 minutes. He's like, I'll give you 20 minutes. And he came here and like it was probably one. It's a top five episode for me just because of what it meant. It's like if I would have had that on video. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, who else? I mean, you know, the bigger names that I've had on like Rob Riggle, that would have been huge. Roddy's would have been great because you really, you had a great chemistry with Roddy. Yeah. Oh, you know, he, he sure. really enjoyed having you around. Cause you could tell you were saying all the stuff that he's not, he can't technically say if he ever wants to do anything with WWE anymore, but you, you were always more than willing to call people out. <laughs> Yeah, I don't care anymore, man. I'm gotten rogue. That was one of my favorite things being at the comedy store and and like five of us just crowding around Roddy like a gang and and just pelting him with questions like ridiculous, insane questions like who was the which one embarrassed you more having to get lose to Hogan or lose to, you know, and we'd find somebody ridiculous and how, he'd just die. How big was Mark Henry's dick? And like, <laughs> I, I just remember him. He was he loved being there, man. We had so much fun with him. It was the best. So, yeah. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Follow Jordan on YouTube. Me on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Woo! At Earl Skakel on everything. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Let's get that TikTok page. If you talk about going live, once you get over a 1,000 followers on TikTok, you can go live. Which I kind of like that they make you get to a certain level. That's what YouTube does now. I like that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, Jordan's right. Live, I think I would get a whole new fan base. Of course, I've gotten Chandler banned for life on TikTok Live. For telling a story about the comedy store, uh, you know, we won't get into the story, but 
It's a little graphic. <laughs> so I love you all. Inappropriate Earl and SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Leave a review, rate, and subscribe if you haven't done so already. It helps me crack the fucking algorithm of Steve Jobs' evil empire. And uh, I love you all. And no one tweet at Rogan to get me on the podcast. It hurts more than it helps. Damn,